get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN at 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Character, and Michelle, we are two days away from opening day. Can't wait, Randy. Can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> the Cardinals will take on Cincinnati after wrapping up spring training yesterday, a 3-3 tie against the Mets down in Jupiter, Florida. And Matt Carpenter had a hit. All right. And an RBI. There we go. go. Matt, he's Whatever. back. Marv is back, folks. Okay, so the way we look at this is because we are kind of sunshine lollipops here, is, yeah, you might look at that 054. We're looking at that 1,000. He's That's, one for one. You know what I'm looking at? This is somebody that is confirmed member of the team, and he got a hit. Carry that momentum into the regular season. Mm-hmm. If he if he was going to go over and get a hit at any point in the season, I would like it to be the last day of camp. Sure, yeah. We are going to talk more about <laughs> Marp at the bottom of the hour. He's going to be the subject of our eight burning questions. And we want to hear from you with the Rhino Shield mic drop feature or the 101 ESPN text line, the Air Comfort Service text line. And the question is today, how long should the Carpenter leash be? Not how long will it be, but how long is your leash for MARP heading into this season? We'll have a lot to talk about. By the way, Michelle, a cursory look at the statistics for spring training shows us that of the 15 teams in the National League, there are 15. Mm Mm-hmm. The Cardinals were number 14 in runs scored. Randy, this is spring training, okay? We're talking about practice. <laughs> we're talking about practice, Randy. This is this is how I shield my emotions. <laughs> I compartmentalize. Good job. But that's not great. That's not great. Four runs in 24 games for the Cardinals. The Mets scored the fewest runs in the National League with 102. They also played 24 games. And speaking of the Mets, Breaking overnight, they have offered shortstop Francisco Lindor a $325 million 10-year contract, and he has summarily rejected it with his representatives telling reporters that the club and Lindor are tens of millions of dollars apart. Well, if I'm Francisco Lindor and the owner of the club had come out and essentially told everyone he was going to make a big splash and I'm paraphrasing, but spend stupidly, then yeah, I would be milking this for all I possibly could, knowing that he has the money to spend. Word is that Lindor wants $385 million over 12 For a guy like Steve Cohen, who has all those billions of dollars, what difference does it make, right? 325 over 10, 385 over 12. Now you're just talking about egos. But that could be dangerous. That's where it could get really tricky because Steve Cohen is a billionaire and probably wants to win this business battle in some way, shape, or form. But he also knows that as a new owner, it's in his best interest to get this done. Yeah. 
Absolutely, because he's got a guy with so much charisma and that is so good. Now, what Cohen can say is, you know what? Fine, I'll, I'll play this year with you, and the next year I'll go get Seeger or Correa or Story. I'm, I'm going to be able to find a shortstop after this season. But you're not going to find one, and I, my guess is that they'll probably meet in the middle at 11 and 350, 355. Get it done now so that you don't have to bid for a shortstop next offseason because almost invariably that guy winds up costing you more than the guy you could have just kept. Exactly. And this is not a storyline that you want to be lingering over your club for a long time. Right. And Lindor has said that he will not negotiate once opening day hits. Once they get to that first pitch of the regular season, he claims that he's not going to negotiate anymore. So they need to get this done. The Mets do in the next couple of days. College basketball last night. Houston advances to the Final Four, the first since 1984 when Akeem the Dream was there. The second-ranked Cougars knock off Oregon State 67-61. That game got a little closer than I thought it would. It did. Oregon State kept kept threatening, 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 but Houston pulls away. But it was an interesting game. And Baylor, another number one seed, knocks off Arkansas 81-72. The one beats the three, so the Bears are on their way to the Final Four as well next week. Didn't you have Baylor in your Final Four? I do. I have all the remaining number one seeds. I totally played the chalk. I know that that was boring, but I did it anyway. And it looks <laughs> like I have a pretty good chance with tonight, USC and Gonzaga, UCLA and Michigan playing. Uh, I'm rooting against the Pac-12 tonight. Yes. And I'm rooting for the number one seeds. I had Gonzaga beating Illinois for my championship, Michelle. Well, you're in a you're in pretty good shape, Randy. I, however, am 0 for 4 for my Final Four teams because I went three out of four Big Ten teams. I just picked the wrong ones. And we are going to wait until next Monday, and we're going to look at the fact that you have Ohio State and Illinois, and yeah, uh-huh. we're going to look at that, and then uh, we're going to determine a punishment for you. Spin the wheel. Yep, we're going to spin the wheel of punishment. <laughs> Great. It's, it's not going to happen until Monday, though. There's so, so many bad things on that wheel. So many. There's a lot of things on there that I would not like to do, but I think the worst thing on there might be eating a hard-boiled egg. Really? Oh. Is somebody going to make a hard-boiled egg on Easter? In, in my family? Yes. Not that I know of. Okay, good. Unless they want me to throw up. That subject was broached up. at my household because just in terms of coloring eggs, should we still do it? Do the kids still like it, even yeah. though they're 26 and 23? They do, <laughs> but... Then the idea was, well, would we eat egg salad? Oh, I don't know. Oh, my God. I the know. The thought of it. Repulsive. <laughs> egg salad? Oh. <laughs> the look. The it's, look that you just I'm telling you, of all things, one of them is that we have to stand outside on olive with a re- sign that says I'm terrible or something. Mm-hmm. I would prefer that. I would prefer the public shaming, like Game of Thrones style shame, <laughs> shame, than eating a hard-boiled egg. Because if I eat it, it's going to have to be in the crossover because I... You're going to throw up? It won't be good. It just will not be a good scene. It's on there. It's on the wheel. Oh, even the thought of it. All right. A couple of more notes I wanted to touch on. I want to go back to baseball for a second. Okay. David Price did make the Dodgers bullpen, Michelle. That's ridiculous. (laughs) Dustin May is is going to be their fifth starter. So it's going to be Bueller, Kershaw, Bauer, Urias, May... And then you've got Tony Gonsolin, who would pitch for probably the other 29 teams in the rotation. Oh, yeah. And David Price, who's won a Cy Young three years ago, could have been the World Series MVP, and he's going to be pitching out of their bullpen. 
it's just heartening for every other fan base in baseball. It is. Just when you think the Cardinals have a good shot, they acquired Nolan Arenado. Look at how this is going to change the dynamics of the team. All these positives for a lot of other teams. And then you talk about the Dodgers and the studs that they have. They are so overflowing with stud pitchers that they have guys like that coming out of the bullpen. And I'm guessing that they'll use them all. The price will start games and Gonsolin will start games. But the other thing that this does is it just makes their bullpen a monster. We talk about their rotation. When you have David Bryce and Tony Gonsolin yeah. coming out of your bullpen, come on, let's let's be fair here. Good luck, opposition. Yeah. And uh, Jimmy Nelson came in on a minor league contract, didn't allow a run during spring training. <laughs> so the former Brewer also is in their bullpen. Plus they have Kenley Jansen and Corey Knable at the back of their bullpen. They're going to be unbelievable from oh, a pitching perspective. Is that all? Yeah. <laughs> is oh, that they're they're going to be unbelievable and awesome. Oh. No, I mean the names you mentioned. Oh, yeah, it's that crazy. It's, Anyone else you want to pull out of a hat? It's really unfair. I, we got to have a salary cap or something for the, not for all of baseball, just for the Dodgers. That I'm into that because so, it is ridiculous yeah. that you can just go out and acquire whoever yeah. you want, whenever you yeah. want. And I'm just joking. It's, it, it, I, I give them credit because until Mookie Betts, they hadn't signed a guy uh, to a $100 million contract. Andrew Friedman, he'd given uh, Kershaw a $90 million contract. But until they signed uh, Betts last year to the 350, they didn't sign a guy to a $100 million contract. And they aren't blowing people away in free agency until Trevor Bauer. They get Betts in a trade. When you look at uh, their their starters, they develop Kershaw, Bueller, Urias, May. Uh, they developed their catcher, Will Smith. They got Max Muncy. They stole him from the A's. They developed their second baseman, Gavin Lux. Turner, they stole. He was on waivers from the Mets. Corey Seager, they developed. A.J. Pollock, they signed as a cheap free agent. They developed Bellinger and traded for Betts. So, hey, I give them credit. I think they've done a fabulous job as an organization. But think about all of the names that you listed and think about the talent that they've had. And I keep going back to the fact that they only won one World Series yeah. during this time. And it was during the truncated season when talent rises to the top. So even though they've been able to develop and acquire all of these stars and all of this talent, it is still so difficult to win a championship. The one guy they didn't go out and get, the two guys, were Pete Cosma and Matt Adams. <laughs> <laughs> if they could have only gotten those two guys. You know what, Randy? You can acquire all the talent in the world, but you can't buy devil magic. You cannot. You cannot buy devil magic. It's just something you inherently have. Who's the Cardinals' devil magic guy for 2021? Oh, that's such a good question. I'm going initially to think of someone in the outfield because that's where the most question, the questions are and... I could totally see one of these outfield. Like, does Dylan Carlson count? I don't think so. No. Because he's a highly touted guy. Right. People expect him to be great. So let's remove him from the equation. Um, How about Austin Dean? Austin he Dean. He would be devil man. Like, he'd be Ryan Ludwig or Hazel Raker or somebody like that. How about Nagowski? How about the big, the big, the big Nagowski? Certainly a, guy- a possibility. Nobody... Not only hadn't heard of, but even at the beginning of spring training, nobody expected. Absolutely. He would be the guy. Does Tommy Edmond fall in this category? I think he does. Because we feel like he's obviously a strong and productive player for the Cardinals, but we don't. The expectations for him aren't necessarily firmed up yet. Does that make sense? And I also think a lot of other teams and a lot of other fan bases aren't aware of a Tommy Edmond. Here's the way I look at Devil Magic players. Essentially, they're 
play any player on the Minnesota Twins. Once they get to the playoffs, you've never heard of them before. <laughs> so that's what Tommy Edmond will be. He'll he'll play a nice solid second base for the Cardinals, but he's not going to make the All Star team. And then more fans, casual fans, will check in during the postseason, and Tommy Edmond will get a hit and he'll lead off for the Cardinals and be a pest and. He'll get driven in by the stars, and people say, who the hell is that guy? Who's this pesky guy? Yeah. Absolutely. So I think Edmund fits the mold. Now, does a guy like Carlos Martinez fit the mold? Because while he is a name that people know of, he hasn't lived up to expectations for a long time. I believe if he has a great year, then he does fall into that category because people will say, oh, I thought he retired like four years ago. Right. And he's, he's back now doing stuff? So oh, think, that yeah. Carlos Martinez? <laughs> yeah. Okay, he's good? All right, great. Yeah. So, okay, good. You want a stat, by the way? Yes, always. Uh, let me get it for you. Let me. I believe, there, if I'm not mistaken, that there have only been two Carlos Martinez's in baseball history. Isn't that shocking? Repeat that again? Uh, three. There have been only three Carlos Martinez's in Major League Baseball history. Only three? Yep. Uh, there was one from 1988 to 95. He was a first baseman, third baseman. And I think that might have been... Uh, Jose's dad, actually. Oh, wow. Played for the White Sox and the Indians. And then there was uh, another Carlos Martinez before our Carlos. Let me go back to this. And he played from um, 06 to 09. This Carlos Martinez was also a right-handed pitcher. Played in three separate seasons for the Marlins, 06, 07, and 09. And then our Carlos Martinez. I would have figured there would have been more Carlos Martinez is in the history of baseball. Agreed. I would think so, too. Things you just get on character and smallman that you can't get anywhere else. Fun facts on a Tuesday. (laughs) Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got a little game of what's better on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the character and smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Smallman is uh, on your radio right now. Emily Butcher is our producer, and she is accepting your text to the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780 for a game of what's better. Emily, what do you got? From the 314, what's better? Watching a goalie fight or watching a goalie score a goal? Ooh, that's a great one. I'm going to go with goalie fight. So am I. When Jordan Bennington was skating off the ice Mm -hmm. and he's pushing players left and right, I would have loved to see a full-on goalie fight. Yeah. One of the more iconic moments in the history of Blues hockey was Joseph versus Shevel Day. Mm-hmm. It was a great, great call by Ken Wilson. And there have been goals scored by goalies in the NHL. Martin Brodeur did it a couple of times. Ron Hextall of the Flyers. But that uh, that's just shooting a puck. It's kind of like playing skee-ball or curling. You're just shooting a puck down the ice into an empty net. That's the only way a goalie is going to score. So even though it's cool... It's really not exciting. You're just watching a puck go across the ice. A goalie fight, that's exciting. A goalie fight, too, with all the pads that they have, it's limited movement. Mm -hmm. They don't really, I think, know what to do with that moment because it's unexpected. Right. I would love to see it. From the 636, what's better, St. Louis-style barbecue or St. Louis-style pizza? Barbecue. And it's not even close. Yeah, barbecue. Yeah. it's If you have that choice... Like, you're just super hungry, and you say, okay, do I get St. Louis barbecue or pizza? And we love our St. Louis-style pizza, but you have... Do we? Oh, yeah, I do. But that's just 
me. Uh, but yeah, if I have that choice, I'm going to get the barbecue. If I'm super hungry and have the time, barbecue, yeah, all the time. I could make the argument that St. Louis-style barbecue is the best barbecue in the country. I cannot make the argument that St. Louis-style pizza is the best pizza in the country. Many people can, though, and do. Can people outside of our area code, outside of the Metro East, make that argument? I don't believe so, but I also don't believe that they would make that argument for barbecue. I don't know. I've had a lot of people come to town who have been to Kansas City, Memphis, who will have St. Louis-style barbecue and be very impressed. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Good to know. From the 573, what's better, an early morning walk or jog or that after work wind down? Oh, definitely early morning if you can do it. If you don't work our hours, (laughs) then why not get it out of the way? So I've got a choice between exercising and sitting on the couch. Essentially, wind down. No, no, no. I think the question is: Would you rather work out in the morning or after work? Is that what it is? It says an early morning walk or jog, or that after work wind down. Oh, I just assumed it was the wind down after work, like you're walking or jogging. No, you're just... Uh, oh, after, then yeah, who wants to work out uh, as opposed to chilling? Walking out in the morning chill. or chilling in the evening? Yeah, you're chilling Let's in the chill. evening. Yeah, we're yeah. chilling. Our like, show wait, is what? chilling. I can tell you that right now. Do not let the fact that I did 75 hard confuse you. We are a chilling show. I'm taking a nap. From the 636, what's better? Whataburger or In-N-Out? Both overrated, but I'm going In-N-Out. I would go in and out also. Yeah, I'm with you. I think they are both overrated. I don't think that, uh, and I know it's a West Coast thing, right? Uh, Or at least a Western part of the country thing. But I do think that people that live there or want to be there, they think it's like the best thing in the world. People think that In-N-Out Burger is like the best thing in the world, and it's not even close. It's a lot of hype. It's a lot of hype because you can't get it everywhere, to your point. Um, I also think the burger is good. The fries are trash. Yeah, you heard it here first. The animal style fries are the worst. Everyone loves it because it's a fun name and it's something that's very niche. Mm -hmm. You have to eat them with the fork. They get cold really quick. Very messy. The flavor is not all that. I'm just being honest. And by the way, uh, I'm glad that you said that the burger is good because it is. It's not a terrible burger. No, it's a good one. But there are just better burgers out there. This is going to sound crazy. I'd rather have Wendy's than In-N-Out. Mm. Yeah, that's really not a bad call. I, I'm not going to disagree with you on that point. Like Shake Shack, definitely. Yeah, right. Five Guys, definitely. Yeah, Freddy's up here. Yeah, Freddy's yeah. is a cheap. I never had Freddy's, but I'm going to take your yeah. word for it. You know, Wendy's is a... Wendy's can hit the Wendy's spot. Is strong, yep. <laughs> Wendy's is strong. Wendy's is strong. Uh, here's a follow-up on that barbecue one from the 636. What's better, St. Louis-style barbecue or Texas-style barbecue? It's been a minute since I've had Texas-style barbecue. Yeah, me too, but I'm going to go with St. Louis. Me too. I've had, And when I had Texas barbecue, I only had the brisket, which was outstanding and obviously something that they do well. Um, I've never had Texas-style ribs or pulled pork, all of the different things, so... I think St. Louis really diversifies when it comes to the barbecue. It's not just one specific thing that they're really good at. Right. Or that and we're really good at. By the way, we do win. Our people win a ton of national awards. I know Mike Johnson over at Sugar Fire has won tons and tons of awards. Bogarts, Pappy's obviously is great. We've got a lot of great barbecue places. And a lot of people that have won a lot of national things. So from that standpoint, we've earned our spot right at the top of the list. I've had a lot of barbecue in my life, weirdly. Um, And I would say Q39 in Kansas City 
outstanding. The other ones, as I've mentioned before in this show, overrated. Birmingham, Alabama, a place called Saw's, great barbecue. Okay. Jackson, Mississippi, I believe it was called the Pig in the Pint, great barbecue. I feel like a lot of places in the South will have these tucked away barbecue spots mm-hmm. that I would put on par with St. Louis style barbecue. They just don't get as much love because it's not one specific place that's known for barbecue like Texas or North Carolina. You know, I, I just have a complete bad perception of Jackson, Mississippi because I stayed there a couple of years ago on my way home from... I, I guess it was an Alabama football game or LSU something. I don't know what we were driving through, but we came through Jackson, Mississippi, stayed in a hotel, and it allowed smoking hotel rooms. It was horrible. You walked into the hotel room and it smelled like a cigarette. The only thing that I took away from Jackson, Mississippi that I liked was the barbecue. Oh, okay. (laughs) I'm not suggesting that it was a great time. I went there to run a half marathon. The barbecue was great. (laughs) There wasn't a lot there. Not Not a lot of there there. In fact, one time recently... I drove through there and bought gas and tried to use a credit card. They said, we don't take credit cards here. Are you serious? Yeah. Cash only. So what'd you do? Gas station. I fortunately had cash. Did they have an ATM? I wonder if that's... I doubt it. Oh. I didn't even look. That's when you need to start bartering. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I have... Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I don't it was, even know it was what like I a, even a, have in my car to barter. It was like a, a big name gas station. It was just really? weird. And it was, I, I the way I said it, by the way, was the, the way the guy said it. All due respect to Mississippians. Yeah, we don't take credit cards here. <laughs> I, when I drove down to that half marathon, I remember once I crossed into the Mississippi, like w- when I crossed into the state line until I got to Jackson, I was like, wow, so there's nothing here. Nope. There is nothing in this state. <laughs> they do have nice tree-lined highways. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not dissing it, but... If you're driving from St. Louis to Chicago, you're seeing a lot of exits. You're seeing mm-hmm. a lot of gas stations. Oh, yeah. There are towns. There are there's a population there. That drive. Same thing when I went to Baton or when I went to um, the LSU Alabama yeah. game. When I went to Baton Rouge, not a lot there. Not mm. a, Georgia. There's not a lot in the state of Georgia outside some big towns, right. some big cities. There's big swaths of nothing. Yeah, let's go into. Uh, an Alabama football game. If you drive from here to Tuscaloosa, you're going to go hours where you don't see anything. And we were going hours through the night and not seeing anything. It was And no streetlights or anything. It's unbelievable. It's crazy. From the 314, what's better? Winning the office NCAA tournament pool or your fan, your fantasy football league championship? I have won a fantasy football league championship. I have never won an office pool. I've been in the money once in my life in an office pool. That's it. Yeah, for the NCAA. So I, because of experience, I got to go with winning a fantasy football championship. I would say winning the tournament pool because I think it is harder. I think there's more luck involved, though, with an NCAA tournament pool. I think with fantasy football, if you pay attention and you're good, you can win it. You can win that based on skill. I think the NCAA tournament is so much a game of chance. That's true. But isn't it more fun to watch then? And everyone in the office is watching the same games for the same outcome. Yeah. Whereas if it's your fantasy football pool, people are watching different games based on which players they have. Like I said, I can only base it on experience. I don't know how good (laughs) winning the NCAA office pool is. Sam. (laughs) From the 314, what's better? Watching Eddie Belfour break his stick over the crossbar or watching Brad Marchand cry? 
Oh, I'm always going to pick Brad Marchand crying. Well, and Marchand lost the Stanley Cup Finals. It was awesome to see Eddie Belfour break his stick. But that was only the second round in 93. Yeah, you are going to beat Marchand crying. And that was such a weird thing to watch unfold because he he was so pesky during mm-hmm. that series with the Blues. And we hated him. But to watch him have that raw emotion, you did feel badly for him. Like, I never want to mm-hmm. mock him for crying. I do. Because he really cared. He really, really wanted to win. But of all people to see cry, you know, if you're a Blues fan, it's not a bad thing to see him cry. Well, and then he says... They stole our Stanley Cup. Hey, you know what? If you don't like it, play better. That's right. So, hey, the Blues have the cup. The players have the rings. And they did it on his turf. Yeah. Pretty great. Pretty good. (laughs) Thanks very much for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up, eight burning questions. Number seven today. How long should the leash on Cardinals utility infielder Matt Carpenter B. How long should it be? Not how long will it be, but how long should it be? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Prepare to initiate burn. O'Neal deep right at the wall. Carlson hits it through. What a throw by Yachty. Eight burning questions for the Cardinals 2021 season. Number seven. And we do want to hear from you on this. Our question today is what sort of a leash do you give Matt Carpenter in 2021? Obviously, he had a bad spring training. And he had that bad spring training at the age of 35. So that's a negative. He's going to turn 36 next November. Michelle, he winds up spring training in a 2 for 37 skid. That's an 0.54 average. He did drive in two runs. His on-base was 222. His OPS was 303. So he did have a miserable spring on the heels of a miserable 2020 season in which he hit 186 325 on base and a 314 slug, four homers, 48 strikeouts, and a 640 OPS. So I think I'm going to probably have a a little different approach here. Why don't you start? How much of a leash are you giving Matt Carpenter? This is such an interesting question. It's phrased in such an interesting way because... It's going to be like one of those leashes, Randy, where you have the button that you can clamp down, where it can go out a little, and then you can clamp down on it. It's not going to be a set amount of a leash because I think his playing time, the opportunities that he's going to get with this team are going to be pretty limited. So do I expect him when he does get those opportunities to really deliver for the team based on not only what we've seen from spring training, but the past few seasons? No. But do I also think in the grand scheme of things for the team's success, is Matt Carpenter going to make or break them? Also, no. So that's why I think he's probably going to be on the team. He's going to be used very in a very limited capacity. And so the leash is one of the short leashes with the button on it. He should, if things are run properly, we should be talking about the Cardinals 12th or 13th position player. Both outfielders, Dean and Williams, if we consider them reserve outfielders, because you're starting group, well, Dean Williams or Nagoski. Let's just say that among the outfielders, all of those outfielders should be ahead of 
Matt Carpenter in the pecking order. Sosa should play shortstop if Paul DeYoung needs a day off. So the opportunities that Matt Carpenter should get are the rare opportunities that Arenado or Goldschmidt don't play. Those two might play 155 games each, yeah. 150 games each. And then when Tommy Edmond doesn't play or play center field, when uh, Carlson needs a, a day off. By the way, John Mosellock said that yesterday. Their backup center fielder right now is Tommy Edmond. So if, if Carlson needs a day off, Edmond is playing center field, then Marp is going to be in the lineup. So you're probably talking about him, hopefully, playing at most three times a week, which might be too much. But I do think that his leash, and I'm looking at it from the Cardinals' perspective, it should be longer. Here's my other point. I don't know that Rondone, who would be the nominal replacement for Matt Carpenter, is significantly better. I hope and think that Mike Schilt and his staff are going to only put Carpenter in positions where he can succeed. He's not going to face hard-throwing left-handers, probably not going to face, I would hope, hard-throwing pitchers at all. So if you're facing a Hendricks, if you're facing a Davies, if you're facing uh uh, a Vince Velasquez now who doesn't throw as hard as he used to uh, uh, when you play Philadelphia early on don't let him see anything above 95 have him face pitchers that are guys that throw 94 and below and then you can have a guy that's with you all year long I understand that thought process but it seems like he struggled in almost every situation so that's why I don't even know if that approach will work for him but reading uh, again Derek Gould obviously with amazing work coming out of spring training St. Louis Post-Dispatch he spoke to Matt Carpenter about this who says that he feels great about his swing and the exit velocity is there and he realizes that he's not going to get a medal for all of those things that it's only production that counts but he does feel good about the mechanics and he feels good about the process and maybe we do see some things click in for him when the season starts but I wonder if he's only getting limited opportunities if he's able to find a rhythm at all if that's something that's going to be tough for him and maybe the thing for him would be to go really old school and before he even swings the bat take a strike because he can take a walk he's got a good eye Mm -hmm. and perhaps the best approach for a carpenter this year and maybe for the rest of his career because like you said he's going to hit into the shift every time it's not like he's going to be able to go the other way on a regular basis Maybe against those guys, like I mentioned, Hendricks and Davies will throw that sinker away to him. Maybe he'll be able to go the other way, way against those guys. But for the most part, he is going to hit into the shift and not going to hit the ball over the fence. So try to take walks. Try to incre- increase your on-base percentage that way. And then maybe when you do hit the ball now and then, it'll fall in. He's He needs some luck. He needs a lot of luck because the defense knows exactly what he's going to do. From the 618, Randy Carpenter's leash will rely on Tommy Edmond and Paul DeYoung's production. If they're both solid all year, no one will care about Carpenter's production. If those guys struggle, then the Cardinals might need that bench spot. This is true, and that's why they'll have Rondone. But they really don't have anybody else, not only in terms of middle infield. They have Nagoski to play first. But if something happens with Arenado, then you're probably going to have to go, unless you're going to roll the dice on Nolan Gorman coming up probably going to have to go with Edmund playing third and you probably move Edmundo Sosa over to second that would be a pretty bad lineup by the way <laughs> if, if you have to if you have to play an infield of Edmund DeYoung Sosa there isn't much and then obviously Goldie 
there isn't any pop there. It's kind of like last year when Marp was playing third and not hitting. From the 618, Marp has no leash. He's chained to the porch. I'm done with him <laughs> as a player, but I still love the person. And that's one of the reasons that the Cardinals keep him on the roster because he is a good teammate. Everybody likes him. As Mike Schilt said the other day, he is selfless. Correct. He doesn't care about going to the bench. And I, I think that's a good way to phrase it. He's kind of chained to the porch at the moment. And you let him out, let him run the pasture three times a week. But a lot of times being being on the porch is, is good. You're glad to be there. Right. You're glad to just be outside yeah. and, and have the fresh air. And I, I hope that he can find something. One of the big complaints I have about baseball and sports in general is that that veteran presence that can just be a great guy off the bench for you doesn't exist anymore. It used to be when I was uh, uh, even it, when the Cardinals were great in the 80s, they had a guy like Milt Thompson, veteran player who came off the bench, and when you needed him, when people were hurt, he was terrific. Gerald Perry, Steve Braun. Cardinals have had a ton of really good pinch hitters. John Mabry, when he came back, was a, a really good bench guy. When you look at this bench now, Austin Dean, no experience. Justin Williams, no experience. John Nagowski, no experience. Edmundo Sosa, no experience. The only experienced guy they have, Kisner, virtually no experience. The only experienced guy they have on their bench is Matt Carpenter, and hopefully he can make the adjustment to being a pinch hitter and a guy that comes off the bench because how can you count on guys that have only started games and had the opportunity to get into a rhythm coming off the bench cold and being able to get a hit. People say that's the hardest thing to do in sports is to get a pinch hit in the seventh or eighth or ninth inning in Major League Baseball. It's really, really tough, especially when you've been struggling the past few seasons. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, one more, Randy, from the 314. Michelle and Randy, Carp is going to say he feels fine, but his slow bat speed speaks volumes about his lack of hitting. Right, and the best description that I ever heard about it was like Brad Thompson said, Said it's like he's swinging the bat underwater. And it's, yeah, it's a shame because he used to be a guy that had an extremely quick bat. That's not there anymore. And now we talk about the perfect storm with the shift. So he had a quick bat against pitchers that generally threw maximum of 95. Now pretty much everybody is above 95 and his bat has slowed down. That's not a very good recipe for success. No. So that's what we think. So I've got my leash going all six months. If he stays healthy, I think he's on the roster the whole time. Oh, I don't disagree with you, but that's not how long my leash would okay. be. That's, that's how, <laughs> if he if used properly, that's where my leash is. Okay, so what? where do you end things? My, my leash is hard to determine because I don't think that he's going to get that much room. You let, it. you let the leash go so that someone can have the room to roam and the room to find themselves. I don't think he's even going to get that. Do I think he's going to be with the team for the entirety of the season? You betcha. Do I think that he's going to make or break the team and get any really meaningful opportunities? Not likely. So the big thing here is if Edmund winds up sucking and they say, oh, we're going to put Matt Carpenter in the lineup, then he'll have enough on that leash to sink or swim right yep. hang himself right so we want to know from you and that's going to be coming up at 8 15 we want to know from you how long that leash for Matt carpenter should be you can send us a mic drop with the rhino shield mic drop feature on the 101 espn app or if you'd like you can also send us a text 65780 oh by the way if you don't have the 101 espn app yet download it sign up 
get your information in there and have the opportunity to win $500 in cash, a Nolan Arenado jersey, a Traeger grill. If you want to do some barbecue, and we were talking about that earlier, uh, rolling cooler, a 101 ESPN, pi- ESPN prize pack, and more. Yes, your opportunity. All you need to do is go and sign up at 101 ESPN's app in the app store. Next up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Michelle and I have Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Character and Smallman, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. If you'd like to play Take It or Leave It, I want to start with this, Michelle. Uh, this is uh, a shout out to Kurt Way. Today is his last shift as a police officer after 21 years, a D.A.R.E. officer for 17 of those years. And uh, Kurt has listened to me since way back in the KMOX days, which is a long time ago now. And uh, so congratulations to Kurt Way on a great yes. career. And thank you very much for serving your community for 21 years. We do greatly appreciate it. And I personally greatly appreciate you listening to me. Boy, this is... I... Uh, so, I left KMOX 20 years ago now. Really? Yeah. 20 years? Yep. My first day at 550 was opening day of the 2001 season. So, KMOX days are a long time away. long time ago. Wow, that's wild. Yeah. I just, because he said that, I just thought of it. Michelle... Uh, Marissa Maori is Trevor Lawrence's girlfriend, fiance. I was going to say, isn't he engaged? Uh, yes, and had her bachelorette party. Oh. Put the pictures up on the Insta. Okay. And uh, had a, a great bachelorette party. And had in the background in one of the photos an inflatable unicorn. Take it or leave it, <laughs> inflatable unicorn, uh, better than inflatable swan. Oh, I'm going to leave it. Big time leave it. Do you still have your inflatable swan? Frankie, you mm-hmm. betcha. And I'm going on a bachelorette party this summer, and Frankie will be in attendance. All right, I love it. Um, because you can't really lounge on the inflatable unicorn, correct? Uh, it's just in there for decoration. It's just aesthetically pleasing for the photos. It kind of looks like an inner tube kind of thing. No, it's... Uh, oh, it's a, it's an inner tube within a unicorn yeah, head? Okay, right, I exactly. thought you meant like the legs are there. Yeah, no, uh-uh. No, but see, with with the swan, you have an entire base where you can have many people sit on it at once. That's important. Yeah, yeah. You got your swan is big time. That's a that was a uh, fun story from back in the day. <laughs> yeah, uh, when we forgot to bring a mechanism to blow it up, <laughs> and it spent we spent hours blowing it up, and then had to spend hours deflating it to get it back on the plane. Yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> Oh, those were the days, Randy. Those were the days. Um, take it or leave it. You're kind of surprised Trevor Lawrence's fiance had a bachelorette party to begin with. I am going to take that. Yeah, it's. Uh, it, I, I would think that they've got other things going on at the moment, but uh, you know, she's got her friends. You know, hey, she's hopefully she's only going to have this happen once. Yes, correct for her. Okay, so my real take it or leave it, Randy, obviously we know the NFL dominates the sports talk cycle always, but this time of year it ramps up a lot because the NFL draft is right around the corner and there's smoke and rumors and mirrors, all of the, all of the gossip happening about potential trades and which players' teams are interested. And take it or leave it, out of all things that you miss about the NFL experience in our town, you feel a little bit stronger about the draft. I'm going to take that. That was our Super Bowl. And maybe it's because the draft is the only thing we could pour hope into for many years. But whenever draft time comes around, I get a little 
a little feeling inside of wishing that we could evaluate the players the way that we used to. And yeah. maybe you're right. It was our Super Bowl. Yeah, most fan bases, they look from like January until opening day. That's And they're really excited about opening day. For St. Louis Rams fans, for the most part, from October to April was our season because we were looking at prospects for our team to draft because <laughs> we knew we were going to have such a high pick. Ah, oh, the buildup of the, the first round pick that you think is going to help change things. The tides are going to start to turn. And then the inevitable fall where maybe two, maybe three months later, you realize that pick's not very good. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, it's funny because I was telling you that I liked most of the picks and then I'm th- starting to think about it. You mentioned Greg Robinson. I wanted him to take Greg Matthews over Robinson. They, they like Robinson. Jason Smith, I didn't like that pick. I got a big fight with Bernie on the air over Michael Brockers. I remember that. Uh, the, so I guess I didn't like all of their picks. But you didn't like Tavon Austin at the beginning. I did at the beginning. But then as it turns out, Tavon Austin was taken like uh, 18 picks ahead of DeAndre Hopkins. Oh, man. Gosh. <laughs> That's your Rams. That could be a fun exercise if we ever want to feel good about a team not being here is look at who the Rams selected and then all the talent that went after that. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right, your text, Emily, what do you got? From the 618, take it or leave it, Deshaun Watson is not on an NFL team in 2022. I'm so going to leave that. Next season, I'm going to yeah. leave that too. Yeah, he'll be on a team. Even with everything going on, he'll uh, yes. uh, until there. It's the NFL, are, yeah. Yes. Until there are criminal charges, he'll settle everything. He's already started that process, and he'll move on. And if you don't have criminal charges against you in the NFL, you're fine. You're golden. Also, it's the NFL, and it he's, is the NFL. he's a very special talent. Yep. From the five seven three, take it or leave it. Jack Flaherty wins the Cy Young this season. This season, I'm going to leave season. it. I'm going to leave that too. I do think I still think he eventually wins one in his career. I do too. But this year, when you have DeGrom up in New York and you have the Dodgers starters and then you have Darvish and yeah. and Blake Snell, who's won a Cy Young Award on good teams that are going to be quite visible, I think it'll be hard for Jack. I think so, too. From the 314, take it or leave it, Corey Seager needs to be the Cardinals' number one priority, regardless of how well Paul DeYoung plays. I'm going to leave that. I still think that they need to make sure that their outfield is productive. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. From the 314, take it or leave it, St. Louis needs an NBA team with all the talent they put in the league. Take it. Oh, you got to take need that. need an NBA team. If St. Louis got an NBA team, we would have to secure the floor seats, you and I. Carriker and Smallman right there on the floor. Wouldn't that be fun? Every time. I wonder if the NBA is still going to allow fans, after COVID, if they're going to allow fans to be right next to the players like they were. Like, we can get floor seats on the other side, but I, I, I can't imagine that after going through this, that you're going to allow a fan that you don't know to sit shoulder to shoulder with one of your players. I think eventually those fans are paying a lot of money to sit shoulder to shoulder with the players. And when we're a couple years removed from this, we forget really quick. We do. And money talks. Now, will the players love it? Probably no. not. Will the teams love it? The coaching staff, etc.? Probably not. Will those tickets generate a lot of revenue because people want to be on TV? Yep. Yep, I've got another fun fact for you. I will get to it in a moment. Continue, uh, Emily, and I'll, I'll get to this fun fact. From the 636, seeing flowers and trees blossom is the most beautiful thing to watch in the entire oh, it's year. the most beautiful thing. Flowers and trees blossom. Um, you do get to watch the Cardinals take the field. That's right. 
And while I love a springtime moment in St. Louis, having the leaves change in the fall when the Cardinals are in the postseason, also great, too. Yeah. Okay. So opening day is fun, and I love it. It's a holiday. Spring is great. I love the blossoming trees, Randy. Spring is awesome. But with that, likely comes a really cold day in the mix and a lot of precipitation. Yeah. One time a Cardinal opener got snowed out. Okay, here's my stat for you. Okay. And this is, we've all heard because of our pandemic about the pandemic of 1918, right? Yes. April 1st, 1919, hours before game six of the Stanley Cup finals between Montreal and the Seattle Metropolitans, the series is called off and canceled due to a flu outbreak among both teams after the 1918 pandemic. Currently remains the only time in cup history that the series was canceled. And this was the year after the pandemic. Wow. There you go. So now you know via radio. Uh, thank you, Emily. Thank you. And thanks for your text. Coming up, Doug Glanville of ESPN. Going to talk some baseball on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. We head right to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line and former Cub and Philly Doug Glanville of ESPN and the Marquee Sports Network, that's the Cubs Network, joins us on 101 ESPN. Doug, it's always good to have you on with us here in St. Louis. How are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, great to be back in St. Louis. Uh, I'm not seeing the arch out my window, but uh, I will imagine it. All right. <laughs> hey, we're we're looking forward to the season. What with the Cardinals acquiring Nolan Arenado during the off season, we we like the pitching depth. Even though the Michaelis and and Kim aren't going to be there at the beginning of the season, I just want to get your your uh, global view of the Cardinals before we start the season. What do you think? Commitment. You know, I I see a commitment just based on not trying to miss a beat. When you go after someone like Nolan Arenado, uh, you're serious. You know, they've already had the, the ability to, throw, you know, pitch really well outside of just having the depth to gain that offensive power from someone like Arenado. Now, I know he only hit his first home run <laughs> yesterday, but, you know, we know that this, this guy is capable. He's going to have to deal with some of that shadow of, you know, being out of Coors Field in terms of the Colorado factor, but uh, he's someone that is an impact player right now. And when you make that kind of move as successful as the organization has been, you're definitely trying to take a step into the next uh, playoff round. Doug, do you have the Cardinals winning the division? When you look at the an- the landscape of the National League Central, who do you think is going to emerge? I think what's tough about this is you know, they're certainly a contender, a strong contender, because uh, last year you don't know what to make of the small sample size. You know, you didn't have the full season. You had all these interruptions, COVID-19, and, and so you don't know what to make of some of the struggles. Now, if you look at some team like the Cubs, which had their, their core players like Javi Baez and Chris Bryant struggle all year, you know that they're going to bounce back, so their offense creates a little more optimism. Whereas the Cardinals now, you're facing some health issues starting early on, but you still have a certain amount of depth. They're looking at carrying 13 pitchers, for example, uh, to sort of mix and match. And that is much more effective today's game, so to speak, even than just five years ago. You have enough ability to deal with starters that may not go deep in the ballgame. And that's and as a result, you can bridge to close with a lot of different arms. And the Cardinals are in great position there. And then you mix that with a really strong outfield, a, a strong offense. 
uh, with some guys that have upside, you know, that's a team that's going to make a lot of noise. So I, I like the Cardinals' chances. I, I do think the division has some sleepers. The Reds, for example, uh, they, they pitched very well, but they had an underperforming offense last year. And I see them kind of resetting and hitting the ball again. So they're making noise. And I don't know, Pirates have a guy hitting 700 in spring. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, yeah, it's going to be a very competitive division. And, and the NL Central is a team, a division that uh, you have to make, take very seriously this season because a lot of teams are better. Doug, Jack Flaherty had a rough year, and he, he had one start where he allowed nine runs in three innings, and that kind of changed his ERA last year. But you've had to stand in there against great major league pitching. As you watch Jack Flaherty's stuff, what do you think he's capable of? He's fantastic, and Flaherty is someone that is on the attack. And what gets lost a little bit is because when Garrett Cole had this phenomenal season and it was about the Cole train, Flaherty was right there in terms of a dominant, effectively second half. I mean, he was he was unhittable, and so you know you're dealing with someone that can, you know, not only be a dominant force and a true ace, which is what what he is. It's the ability to see the upside, the fact that he can continue to, you know, do more things with his with his arsenal. You know, he has a a fastball that's electric, and he starts to use it in different ways. Uh, you know, sort of. You think of like a Shelby Miller, right? That's someone from the past mm-hmm. who is able to make multiple pitches out of his fastball, and that's what Flaherty is starting to, to master to go with his complement of pitches. So, uh, that's you're doing. You're talking about a, a bona fide ace, and that's more and more rare these days. You know, because there, there's so often times where guys will go short in games. He has the ability to go deep in the game and completely reset your bullpen. Doug, you and Jason Stark just dropped a new episode of the Athletic Baseball Show podcast where you had a conversation with Theo Epstein, and I cannot wait to listen to it. It's the first thing I'm going to do once we wrap the show today. And I know during this episode, Theo shared with you guys how he's determined to fix baseball. What can you tell us about that conversation? Yeah, well, Michelle, it was, it was fascinating. And, well, there clearly is soul-searching going on uh, with Theo Epstein in part because he was such it was an architect of – changing the culture of the game in many ways. He took two franchises that were supposedly cursed in one World Series, and he did it through sort of the algorithms and the, the analysis behind the scenes with what we see in analytics. But he started to gain some questions about, is this really good for the entertainment product for baseball? Is it exciting uh, to find ways to win and not think about what people are enjoying about the game? So he dug, he, he dug deeper to find out what people are missing about the game, what they'd like to see more of. And he's trying to do it through a consensus and a lot of research to come back to changing the game along what the feedback, you know, based on the feedback that comes back. And it's fascinating because he's in a great chair to do that. Uh, since he saw development, he saw the levels of what it takes to build an organization. And along the way, you know, he had questions. He had questions about is this actually good for the game, where there's only three outcomes for the most part: home run, strikeout, walk. And you're missing all the athleticism by, you know, defense with balls in play or doubles, triples, stolen bases, all these elements. So uh, he's very, very committed to this, and I see it having an impact. It's just it's going to be a lot of soul-searching, not just for Theo Epstein, but for all of us as fans and, and those who are around the game. Doug, we're going to talk later about the fact that because of, apparently, the de-juicing of the ball, there have been fewer home runs, fewer runs scored, but you were a player that used your legs, had a lot of athleticism when you played. 
And I'm kind of thinking that maybe the dejuicing of the ball will bring some athleticism and excitement back into the game. Do you see it that way? I, I see that opportunity. The, the challenge is that, and that's what Theo Epstein sort of references, you have it takes some time to shift the culture of the game. Uh, when you're thinking about velocity for pitchers and home runs and, and walks, this is not just a major league challenge. You have the feeders going into the big leagues, minor leagues, college, high school, showcases, where they're, they're putting their emphasis on what will get them the most attraction, and that is basically velocity as a pitcher and power game as a hitter. So you have to really shift the culture, not at just the top, but just get people to believe that this is something you're going to stick to. Otherwise, if they do it for a year, I remember when they – uh, one spring trainer said, we're going to call the high strike, umpires, we're going to call the high strike. And they did it for like two months, and then they went right back to it. So uh, you have to convince people that this is a serious effort. And, and then what you may see is, yes, you you, you got players realizing that they can't just bash the ball and hit home runs all the time. They might change their two strikes approach and try to put the ball in play and use the whole field and try to beat the shift and all these things. So there's going to have to strike a, we're gonna strike a balance between – uh, the impact of that and how quickly the game adjusts, but it's not just uh, you know Major League Baseball that's concerned about it. Doug, I think the Theo Epstein-less Chicago Cubs might be the most fascinating team in baseball this season. There are so many questions surrounding them. I was just reading this morning about Anthony Rizzo getting a four-year, $60 million offer from the Cubs. I can't imagine he's going to take that. But out of Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, and Javi Baez, which one of those guys, if any, do you think will be with the Cubs moving forward? Javi Baez. You know, I, I, you know, he's that upside, still has an upside, electric player, exciting fan favorite, uh, can do anything on the ball club, beats you many different ways. And he's had a little injury, but for the most part, he's been on the field. And that's where Chris Bryant has struggled. You know, he's really been banged up and, you know, just has not been able to get back to that form. And, and Rizzo's, you know, by, you know, I know I was the old man when I was like 34, but <laughs> Rizzo's, Rizzo's, you know, getting up there. And, and although there's a lot of honor about what he's accomplished for this organization in the Cubs, they, um, they know that his best years are probably, you know, behind him or at least, you know, where he's standing in it. And so that, that's the challenge. And you, uh, any organization that has trouble would figure out, it's like Yadier Molina, you want to respect him all the way to whatever his end is. But there will be a day where, you know, he's just slowed down, and as a competitor, you don't want to go out. You, you kind of want to you believe, that, oh, I'll just get more hits next week, you know, kind of thing. And that is really tough for any organization, someone who's, you know, really honored the organization for as long as they have. Hey, Doug, before we let you go, I, I like asking this question because we're seeing a mini dynasty with the Dodgers, and if they win a world championship this year, I think that we can – say even more about them but if you compare this Dodgers team to the 98 through 2000 Yankees who's better wow that's a that's a great question I mean I mean I I just stared at the back of the Yankees jerseys every time we played them (laughs) (laughs) that was never fun uh I mean the Dodgers because I guess it's the it's the modern game what I like about them is you, you might have a David Price in the bullpen I mean that's that's the kind of depth they're coming out with the arms and they also have the resources to go with it. So Betts or anybody, you know, all these players, if they have any weakness or an injury, they, they can go plug the hole. Uh, that's, for example, with the Cardinals, if like Michaelis or they get healthy, that might be almost like a trade acquisition when they come back. So that's something that Cardinals fans could look forward to. They come back, you're, it's almost like adding a couple of arms. Uh, and so, you know, that's, you know, those are the factors. So I'd say that 
you know, you never know what additions, but when you look at the Dodgers, they have so many ways to get talent, let alone what's already in their, their clubhouse now. They're a great team. So I, I'd say in short, I, because it's the modern game and the fact that you can have a dynasty today, I'd give a leg up to the Dodgers because of where we are today. But they have to do it again this season for me to really be fully convinced. Agreed. Doug Glanville, great to hear your voice. Have a great season. We'll be talking to you during the season, and we appreciate your time this morning. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, and hello and goodbye to St. Louis. See you soon. (laughs) See you. That is Doug Glanville, ESPN Marquee Sports Network on 101 ESPN. And the Cubs have that that new network up and running. I don't know how many people, if if they've got it set up now so that everybody in Chicago can see it, but it should be spectacular. It was great. I did some TV hits with them last last season, and I know all my friends in Chicago are dialed in there to the Marquee Network. And let's see if they if they only keep Baez and get rid of Rizzo and Bryant. Interesting. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting. Hey, there are a lot of interesting situations. The Reds, the Cardinals are playing the Reds on Thursday. Uh, the Reds are playing Eugenio Suarez at shortstop now. They've moved Moustakas to third. They've uh, Think about that. They're, they're moving the third baseman to shortstop. Yikes. <laughs> Yeah, the left side of the infield might leave something to be desired in Cincinnati. Coming up, we want to hear from you. Our eighth burning questions today, question number seven. How long should the Matt Carpenter leash be for the Cardinals? We want your mic drops. We want your texts next with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Prepare to initiate burn. O'Neal, deep right at the wall. Eight burning questions for the Cardinals 2021 season. Number seven. We're going to visit with David Braun in about 11 or 12 minutes here on 101 ESPN, but we do want to hear from you regarding how long should Matt Carpenter's leash be? Michelle and I gave you our thoughts, and we appreciate your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 and also your Rhino Shield mic drops. You've got some text, Michelle? I do. Randy from the 636. I think Matt Carpenter should be treated going forward as any other player. I don't think he's anything close to what he used to be at this point. Keeping him on the roster and giving him at-bats not and not producing takes away from other players' opportunities. Agreed. I do believe that the Cardinals kind of have a blind spot for not treating players that are veteran players that do have a lot of experience like they would treat other people and I guess that makes sense if you had two players a rookie and a guy who's been an MVP a top 10 MVP guy a couple of times and they both hit 054 for a spring you're probably going to keep the guy that you've seen do it before but that being said if if I'm the Cardinals and I have a player that I believe is better than Carpenter and I don't believe that they think that Rondon is better than Carpenter but if they if you have a guy that you think is better than Carpenter, then I think it's your responsibility to put your bring your best 26 north, as it were. From the 618, Matt Carpenter's leash should be to mid or late May. If he's not hitting it hard by then, he will have to suffer, quote, a season-ending injury. That's probably the play. They did that with Johnny Peralta. They've done that a few times a few years ago. And as it turned out, we learned that Dexter Fowler was dealing with depression issues when he was having that horrific 2018 season. But, yeah, you can find an injury. A couple of years ago, the Dodgers had uh, Scott Casimir signed to a monster contract, and they just 
he wasn't performing. So he was put on the IL. And the reason that he was put on the IL, and I've told you this before, uh, his, the reason for the injury was working on velocity. That's what they wrote in their game notes. That's incredible. Yeah. At least they're honest. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> From the 636, Matt Carpenter is the leash you tell your kids your dog doesn't need anymore because he's going to live on a farm. Oh, no. <laughs> Let's get a, a mic drop here from Chris on 101 ESPN. Hey, guys, this is Chris. Uh, in regards to Matt Carpenter's leash, I think he deserves about 10 pinch-hitted bats, and that's about it if he's not producing. I don't think it's fair to us fans to have a player so past his prime that's not contributing or helping the team win, especially in a difficult year. Thanks. Thank you, Chris. I, I do think... It's got to be a conundrum for the Cardinals. And it's easier for us to look and say, okay, he's making outs. What they're seeing is, okay, he's hitting the ball hard into outs. And the thing is, he hits the ball. They, they say, well, he's not finding any grass. He hits it in the same place pretty much every time, right? And I think that's the one thing that we probably see different from them is that they say it's a matter of a lack of luck. And we say, well, this is a pretty strong trend now that's been going for a couple of years. Yeah, I I do think some bad luck has been involved. But I also think we've been saying that for a pretty substantial amount of time by now mm-hmm. without any real production to show for it. And like I said, in the Derek Gould piece, Matt Carpenter says he feels good, good about his swing. And that even though the results have not been there, he would rather feel good about his swing and have the confidence that things are going to come together than be uncertain about it and that his exit velo is there. All of those things are great. But at the end of the day, production is the only thing that matters. And if the exit velocity is there, the way he hits pulling the ball, then he should be hitting it out of the ballpark. That's the way he's going to benefit the club. If he hits it hard on a line to the second baseman who's 10 yards behind the grass, it's not going to do anybody any good. If he does, in addition to the exit velocity, get the launch angle to get the ball up in the air and get it out of the ballpark, then we're all cool. From the 314, how long is a grain of rice? That's how long Matt Carpenter's leash should be. Grain of rice is maybe a quarter inch. Yeah, not very long. No, not at all. Alec is next on 101 ESPN. Matt Carpenter deserves to wear a red jacket after he retires. That being said, it doesn't matter if he's facing a pitcher who's throwing under 95 or over 95. In fact, I'd probably rather him face a guy throwing 97 in straight who only has one secondary pitch compared to Kyle Hendricks who can master the zone with 88. He has a timing problem, and he cannot figure it out. It's extremely sad to watch, but you got to play your young guys even if they're struggling. I hope he can pull it together. Go Birds. And that's the key, is that they are playing the younger guys. We're talking, and we mentioned this earlier when we did this part of the segment, we're talking about the Cardinals' 12th or 13th position right. player. If if they're managed properly, and I have every reason to believe they will be under Mike Schilt, then we're talking about a guy who shouldn't get a ton of time. Nagoski should get more at-bats. Williams should get more at-bats. Dean should get more at-bats. Sosa should get more playing time, not necessarily because of the bat, but because he's better defensively. That's why this is a topic right now of discussion because the Cardinals just announced their roster and they're getting ready to open the season. I truly think once the season opens up, the ire that we feel about this right now is not going to be that big of a deal. I just don't think we're going to see him that much for it to be that big of an issue. And as you mentioned, it's not like there's someone. It's not like he took the spot of a John Nagowski. No. You know. And I think the key 
again, for the manager is going to be to recognize the lack of production. Remember in 2014 when Mike Matheny just would not stop playing Alan Craig, even yes. though it was clear that Alan Craig had lost it. And to get Matheny to stop playing him, Mo had to trade him. Right. That was the only way to get Matheny to stop playing him by not giving him to him. And I don't think we're going to see that situation here, obviously. No, I don't think so either. I don't think it's going to be that big of a, a talking point during the season. If they're winning, it shouldn't be. Which hopefully they are. Yeah. Let's get one more mic drop from uh, you on 101 ESPN. Good morning, Randy and Michelle. I don't think Matt Carpenter is going to have too long of a leash this year. I think it's going to be non-existent. I think they're going to play the money contract, and I think he's actually going to do just good enough to make us rethink re-signing him. It's such a cardinal thing to do, and I have a feeling we'll be talking about it come August, September. <laughs> no. Do you think there's anything he could do this season where we would have that conversation no. about re-signing him? I don't either. And that's because the Cardinals, the money's going to go up for Nolan Arado next year. Cardinals are working on a four or five year plan and the, the money for Arenado goes up next year the money for Flaherty goes up next year so they are not going to be in a position financially where they can unless it's for two or three million dollars where they could even do it also I meant to circle back to this I believe our second mic drop was Alec mm-hmm. uh, what do you think about what Alec said about Mark being a red jacket guy I think he is I think so too Yeah. and that's why this situation is so difficult because we do have a great deal of respect and affection for Matt Carpenter he's been an amazing Cardinal and someone that I think once there's some distance removed from his playing career we will really look back on fondly and want to be represented as part of the Cardinals family for a long time and I know if we're saying that imagine the people that are in the building with him every day this is got to be a really tough situation for them but at the end of the day it is business end of the day yep those are or that is is our seventh of eight burning questions about the 2021 Cardinals on 101 ESPN. Coming up, David Perron joins us to talk some blues hockey with Carriker and Smallman. We are right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. He gets the job done on the ice every night. Perron, he tucked it in like you put the corner of his seat forward David Perron and he joins Carriker and Smallman right now. Perron, he scores! On 101 ESPN. Driven by Pure Performance, the only stop for all your aftermarket vehicle needs. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, 101 ESPN. We're going to have a late edition of The Fight today, and we do need a fighter, so you can text in the word fight and your name to 65780 if you would like to participate in The Fight this morning. Let's go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and Blues Forward, David Perron, kind enough to join us as he does every week here on 101 ESPN. Good morning, sir. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? We're doing good. I got to start with this. Michelle and I, we have this thing called the panic bus. And when you guys struggle a little bit, we say, okay, we're getting the panic bus warmed up. And do you, you want to join us on the panic bus? Players don't panic. But when the team is struggling, David, like <laughs> it, it is right now, what's it like in the dressing room? What's the, what's the demeanor of the team like? Yeah, I mean, uh, we understand the uh, fan base, how they would feel about um, our situation right now. Uh, but I think for us to turn this around and, and uh, do the right things on the ice, we really have to not listen to the noise on the outside and, and really try and bear down and focus on game by game. Like I said last week, um, 
what I'm pleased with in all this is, is kind of some of the stuff that we've done. We finally outshot teams every game, uh, last three games. Uh, probably should have won all three. And sometimes it's just the way hockey goes. It reminds me a lot of of uh, December 2018, uh, the 18-19 season when we won. And when Chief took over for a good part of December, we were out playing teams, out shooting teams. We wanted to have more shots on net, less shots at our net. We've done that, um, but uh, we weren't getting the results either. So sometimes that's how it goes, and uh, hopefully, uh, I mean, we never know the the, the future or what what's going to happen. But uh, that's our hope is that we keep doing that. We. David, you guys have a couple days off this week. What was the message from Chief as you guys went into this mini break? Yeah, just find a way to to get away from hockey, just a little bit mentally at least. Uh, there's no. Uh, yeah, just I, I think obviously we're at the rink a lot this year, uh, more than usual. We're together a lot more, and it's I mean it's great when it's doing well. It seems like it cl- it clicks everyone together. When it's not going as well, uh, uh, maybe there's uh, overthinking on players' part. Uh, everyone's got their heads into it a lot more. So yeah, like I, it's not an excuse at all. But maybe those two days you find a way to, to freshen up a little bit mentally and and come back for uh, tomorrow. And uh, as we're on the way to the ring, we still have to go testing, and there's always workouts and stuff sometimes. But um, it's it's pretty much lighter days for sure. Yeah, with this schedule, having two days off in a row where you don't even have to go into a rink, that's kind of underrated. That really can make a huge difference for you, can't it? Yeah, again, like this year, like even on our days off that we have, like we still have to go in for testing, so the I guess quick, quick in and out and uh, try and, and uh, get away from it. Uh, it's easy to look at different situation, uh, different aspect of our special teams on both sides of, of it. What can we do better? Things like that. But I think these two days are not for, for, for that. You're trying to really spend some time with family. We've been on the road like 23, 24 days of the last like month or so uh, before this week. So um, it's nice to, to start enjoying uh, the St. Louis weather. It's getting nice outside. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. David, we haven't spoken to you since the passing of Bobby Plager. I know you've spoken about it prior, but not with our audience. Can you share with us just what Bobby Plager meant to you? Uh, I mean, he meant a lot. Uh, I'm actually driving uh, on 40 right now, and uh, it's kind of right where it happened. So it's always hard. I, I think it's an area that, um, I'm going to be thinking about it forever every time I go to the rink. Um, even if I live somewhere else down the road, I come back, I know I'm going to remember exactly where. Bobby's a guy that just welcomed anyone and everyone that, that came to the Blues. Um, and especially in my first six years, he was around the rink almost every day, talking to guys, joking around. Uh, he always would stand by the gym and always joke around how he would he went, he's never stepped in a gym, and he, he was making sure he wasn't entering the room at all, <laughs> things like that. He was always mentioning to me the story when he was playing. He would stop, I think it was like at 5.55 or 4.55. Just to, He would stop on the side of the road just to make sure and waiting for the number five to, to basically pop up on, on the clock to, to keep driving and, and get to the ring. Just like all, all kinds of like superstition routine that he had. Um, I mean, I'm gonna miss everything about Bobby Plager. He just—he is what uh, everyone's trying to be uh, in the city, as far as 
how much he loves the city, how much he loves the, the St. Louis Blues. And um, he, he makes people believe uh, about that. Like when we won the cup and we brought it back to him uh, on the ice, I mean, all the guys were extremely happy for him. That was one of my big takeaways, David, and watching a lot of videos and reflecting on Bobby Plager's life was that moment when he hoisted the cup, seeing the pure joy that you guys had watching him experience that moment, I thought was so special. Yeah, like the alumni uh, in this town are great. Obviously, every single one of those guys, uh, they put in the effort to make the, basically put the organization in a spot where we, we had the chance to win the cup. Uh, every single one of those guys worked extremely hard, and Bobby was one of the first guys to do that, obviously. So uh, the amount of times that he mentioned to me that he wanted a parade, whether it was a, as a joke or not, and uh, all kinds of ways that we'd bring it up. So uh, it's it's an extremely sad situation. Uh, but, I mean, as we look back more and more, we're, we're extremely grateful that we were able to do that for, for the fan base, for him, for all those guys that, that really put in all the work in the community and the city throughout the years to to put the, the Blues where they are right now, and, and it's our job to keep that going forward and, and, and uh, even make it better. Hey, David, I, I believe that Bobby Plager taught me more about the sport than anybody else, just somebody who never played the sport, and he just had such a logical and simple approach to the sport. Was there a hockey thing that he taught you or that he passed along to you that you've taken with you just in terms of simplifying the game or the way that you play the game? Hey, Bobby would never really talk hockey with me. Really? It was always uh, just having fun, keeping things loose. And even as we go through this little slump right now, I think it's important to keep it loose a little bit around the rink. Otherwise, uh, it's easy to get too tight, very easy in, in situations like this. And it, it's not for the lack of caring. And we all know guys like Bobby cared the most, obviously, and they still found a way to keep things loose. Um, and even obviously, I didn't see him uh, much play, but you see the highlights, all that stuff. He played so hard, um, so obviously he was able to to bring it on the ice at the right time. And that's what we're trying to do. Like we're trying to, I think that's the biggest thing from Bobby, just his passion for Blue Note. Um, if if we all have that passion, we're gonna uh, have a really really good year every single year. David, is there something specific you guys do to keep it loose? Is there something in the routine that you implement, or is it just a joke here or there? Uh, that's a little bit of everything. But, yeah, like I think um, when you're around the rank, uh, especially I try to uh, talk to some of the younger guys sometimes uh, prior to, to warm-up, after warm-up, whatever. Uh, not so much like when the game has started, but sometimes you can – Tell there's some nerves, crack a joke or two. It's it's mostly on the old older guys uh, to do that. I remember just what Walt was doing a little bit, uh, Keith Kachuk, when I was younger. Just trying to bring the same same type of thing. You learn from from those guys, and uh, you can see what was working. Uh, some guys need to to keep it serious before a game. Some guys need to. You can tell they they need to loosen up to play their best. So, um, it's I think it's a situation to to situation. David, you mentioned the word passion, and I noted positively, I might add, that you broke your stick over the goalpost after the overtime loss the other night to San Jose. Have you ever done that before? <laughs> not as hard. Uh, not as hard, that's for sure. Even my dad, uh, my dad chirped me a little bit about that one, so I, I knew that it was probably pushing me a little too much um, because my kids came to a game, and he's like, well, I, I hope that uh, – I hope that your kids had left before the end of the game. <laughs> and I was like, actually, they did. But I got your message. Thank you. So, <laughs> uh, no, like, 
obviously, I, I think there's times for that stuff. There's also times when afterwards you realize that it probably was a little bit unnecessary. But at the same time, it was just kind of the buildup of, of everything. I thought on the ice there were plays that we could have been a little harder. And sometimes it just brings frustration um, to you. And, uh, yeah, there's different ways to, to I guess, uh, deal with it. So to, to wrap this up, you're feeling pretty good about the way things are and the way where things are headed, at least, right? Yeah, like that's again, like our goal. Um, coaching staff kind of challenged us to to start out shooting teams more, to limit the scoring chances and limit the, uh, the shots against. Because in the years that we had success in the last couple of years, we were definitely one of the top teams in the league to uh, not allow as many shots as we were since the start of the season and we did that the last three games uh, a lot of the points they wanted we cleaned up a few things system wise and right now yeah like we need to shoot the puck better we need to when we have a chance to bear down and put it in it's going to really take pressure off um, every single aspect of our game whether it's penalty killing if it's a night's not going well our power play needs to go out and be better uh, yeah so it's, it's not uh, near where we want to be yet but I, I'm looking a lot more for the next week compared to, let's say, the last week where we needed to turn around a lot more things. David Perron, enjoy the rest of this day off. We appreciate you taking some time with us on the day off. Back at it tomorrow, and go get them over the weekend against Colorado. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. Talk to you next week. All right, David. Appreciate thank you. It. Appreciate it. That's uh, David Perron with us on 101 ESPN. I love the passion. I'd rather have a guy breaking a stick because he's that angry about a loss than someone who just is a little apathetic. I can totally see myself doing that. Oh, you think, Randy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you would. So, Absolutely. You would rage blackout. The, you wouldn't remember it. Right. The, the goal scores. The, the the goal is there. What are you, what are you, what else are you going to do? <laughs> it's right there. <laughs> right. You have to. Uh, coming up next on 101 ESPN, we have a fight, a late edition of The Fight with Carriker and Smallman. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. We have a late edition of the fight today because we spoke to David Perron at 8.30, which is the time that we normally do the fight, but we adjust for David Perron. So let's bring in Randy's challenger today. Eric is with us. What's up, Eric? How's your morning so far? Uh, it's going okay. Just driving into work. Just driving into work? Where do you work? Uh, I work at a law firm downtown. Oh, nice. Are you a lawyer? Uh, no, I'm a paralegal. Oh, very cool. All right. Well, good luck to you, Eric. Good luck in the fight. Question right, number thanks. one. Happy 33rd birthday to Super Bowl champion Richard Sherman. Where did Richard Sherman play college football? Was it Washington, Stanford, or USC? Um, I don't know. Let's go USC. The NCAA Women's Tournament began their Elite Eight games yesterday with UConn defeating Baylor 69-67 and Arizona defeating Indiana 66-53. Which school has the most tournament wins in women's NCAA D1 history? Is it Tennessee, UConn, or Baylor? i got to go UConn. It's a pretty safe guess. Well, yeah, I thought so. <laughs> 
Question number three. On December 21st, 1983, the Blues receive Gilbert Delorme, Greg Puzlowski, and Doug Wickenheiser from the Montreal Canadiens in exchange for whom? Perry Turnbull, Mike Leute, or Bob Stewart? Um, Mike Leute's the only name I recognize, so let's go with him. <laughs> and former MLB pitcher Al Leader's son, Jack, is having a, ste- a stellar season at Vanderbilt, pitching a no-hitter on March 20th against South Carolina. With a 6-0 record, 0.25 ERA, and 59 strikeouts, Leiter is currently projected to go number one in the MLB draft. Who did the Cardinals take with their first round draft pick last year? Was it Mason Wynn, Jordan Walker, or Tink Hentz? Uh, Jordan Walker. All right. You're checking our score here. Randy is on his way back in. Eric, confidence check. How do you feel about the fight? Uh, not great. Yeah, this was a tough one. Emily mixes it up. It's hard. Yeah. There's, there's some where I'm like, oh, yeah, I could do that. And then there's ones like today where it's like, well, one of those names sounded familiar, so it's probably wrong, but I'm going to guess it anyway. Also, Eric, you can probably confirm this. When I had to compete against Randy in a trivia competition, I listened to this and read the questions every day, and there's some that I think, oh, that's a slam dunk, I know. When you're in the chair, when you're actually in the ring with Randy, there's a pressure there that you can't really describe, and you start to second-guess yourself. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Randy, you intimidate people. That's what you do. <laughs> I'm like Tiger. <laughs> yeah, essentially. You're, you're trash-talking with just a look. <laughs> Oh, or silence. Uh, Randy, say what's up to Eric. Hey, Eric. Good morning. How you doing? Doing okay, Randy. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. You got it, man. All right, Randy. It is Super Bowl champion Richard Sherman's 33rd birthday. Mm. Where did he play college football? He was a wide receiver at Stanford University. The NCAA Women's Tournament began their Elite Eight games yesterday with UConn defeating Baylor 69-67 and Arizona defeating Indiana 66-53. Which school has the most tournament wins in NCAA women's NCAA D1 history? I think it's got to be UConn. <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, Gino Ariema and UConn. Randy, on December 21st, 1983, the Blues received Gilbert DeLorme, Greg Puzlowski, and Doug Wickenheiser from the Montreal Canadiens in exchange for whom? Perry Turnbull. And former MLB pitcher Al Leiter's son Jack is having a stellar season at Vanderbilt, pitching a no-hitter on March 20th against South Carolina. With a 6-0 record, 0.25 ERA, and 59 strikeouts, Leiter is currently projected to go number one in the MLB draft. Mm. Who did the Cardinals take with their first round draft pick last year? Last year, first round pick was uh, Jordan Jordan Walker. Jordan Walker. Whew. Emily, hit it. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! We have a winner and still champion, Randy Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Eric, good job, good effort, but I'm sorry. Randy was in the bag today. He got all four correct, hence the jack. He beat you four to two, four to two. I always would think if you are a challenger, Randy, if you could get two of four, that's pretty good. Yeah, you should be proud of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Two four. All right, well, Richard Sherman did play his college football, as Randy mentioned, at Stanford. 
uh, the school that has the most tournament wins in women's NCAA Division One history is UConn with 11. Pretty good guess. I would guess UConn and then Tennessee, uh, which is correct. Tennessee following with eight. On December 21st, 1983, the Blues received Gilbert DeLorme, Greg Puslowski, and Doug Wickenheiser from the Montreal Canadiens in exchange for Perry Turnbull. And the Cardinals' first-round draft pick last year was Jordan Walker. He was drafted in the first round, number 21 overall. Eric, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for playing. Have a great rest of your week. All right, thanks, you guys. Have a good rest of your week, too. Thank you, Eric. Eric with us on 101 ESPN, and we appreciate him being a part of the fight. Every morning before 8 o'clock or so, if you text in the word fight to 65780, just put the word fight in your name, and hopefully Emily will pick you as our fighter. Coming up, we're going to head back to the Broad and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and as we approach opening day, MLB Network's Mark DeRosa, the former Cardinal, will join us on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. It's 101 ESPN in St. Louis. Looking forward to opening day on Thursday and looking forward to the return of MLB Central on MLB Network featuring Robert Flores, Lauren Shahadi, and our current guest on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, Mark DeRosa, the former Cardinal. Good morning, sir. How you doing? I'm doing well. How you guys doing? Good. Looking forward to getting your show back on the air. We always love it. Ah, thank you. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, it's been nice, actually. A little bit of this pandemic has been nice to be home with the kids for as long as I've been and kind of get to know them. But I'm jonesing for some baseball, too, so I'm excited to be back in uh, in New Jersey getting ready to start it back up. Mark, we're jonesing for baseball, too. We were talking, there's so many exciting teams, player storylines this season, but what is something that you're looking forward to watching this year? You know, it's fun. it's funny you say that because – that's how I actually want to start the show on Thursday. As I was flying up here yesterday, all I was thinking about is like, everything's negative right now, right? Everything you want to focus on the negative on a daily basis. But if you look at baseball as a whole, the athletes that are playing it today, man, if you're not fired up to see the Dodgers and what they can potentially do with another run, I mean, if you're not fired up to see if Otani can stay healthy for a full season and try and get Mike Trout, and Rendon into the postseason. The NL East is going to be a bear. Arenado and Goldschmidt for you guys in St. Louis with Wayne Owen. There's so much to kind of sink your teeth into. For uh, It's a good question. I think for me there's a couple things I want to focus on. I want to really see if the White Sox can, can get it done. I know the Eloy Jimenez was a, was, uh, a huge blow, but I think it's something they can cover. And I want to see if that could kind of come together with Tony La Russa. I think that's going to be insanely interesting for a summer in the south side of Chicago. Um, the Mets are obviously an interesting uh, Lindor turning down or potentially turning down 10 years, 325. As I wake up this morning and kind of have some coffee and read the paper, I think that's hilarious. Um, wanting a little bit more than Mookie Betts. So I want to see if that gets ironed out. There, there's a lot to focus on, to be honest with you. But if you want to stay in St. Louis, we can do that as well. But no, we were intrigued, too. We were talking to, earlier today, D-Row, about how good the Dodgers are. And 
at yeah. least from, from a talent standpoint, I, I ask people to compare them to the 98 through 2000 Yankees, and, and I, I actually think they're more, maybe even a lot more talented than that Yankees team was, as good as they were. I'm, I'm with you. And I, that's where I think the game is today. Like, I, I personally, and I know I'm going off on a tangent right here, there's so many great athletes that I would love to see a focus to get back to kind of potentially looking at eliminating the shift. I know they're going to try doing some things in the minor leagues that are going to be eye-popping, and hopefully they can get a feel for what's going to be needed in the new CBA. But I want to see. I want to see Arenado have to range far. I don't want to see him playing down the right field line and, uh, you know, like Manny Machado does in San Diego. I want to see Francisco Lindor going in the hole. I want to see, you know, different things from uh, from an infield defensive perspective. Uh, there's so many good athletes in the game. I just think it's so difficult to get hits the way we have positioned our defense. And I think the people that are listening, driving in their cars to say, well, we want guys to go the other way and learn how to learn how to how to beat the shift and do different things like that. Well, I'm not paying Gold, Paul Goldschmidt to do that. I don't want to I want to buy a ticket and see him try and beat the shift four times. I want him to drive the baseball. So I think there's a way to uh, kind of accentuate the talent on the field, uh, hopefully going forward. Mark, another name you mentioned was Otani, and I think that watching Otani this season is going to be one of the best storylines in baseball. I can't wait to see what he's capable of, and I'm also so intrigued to see how Joe Madden is going to deploy him to extract the best out of him but not overuse him to avoid injury or fatigue. It's, It's funny. I have a funny story with him because about five, six years ago, I was calling Japan Series out of the MLB Network at like 3 in the morning with Paul Severino, who's now the voice of the Marlins. And we were watching some of the American players, Evan Longoria and a a band of brothers went over there to kind of play in this uh, round-robin tournament. And you could not take your eyes off Shohei Otani, and I think he was like 17 or 18 years old at the time. And I called John Daniels of the Texas Rangers, and I said, hey, are you guys on this Otani guy? He, like, jumps off. He's like, We've been on him since he was 12. Wow. The the word was out on him so long before I actually put eyeballs on him that I was blown away. I knew when his posting would come, like, this was going to be a big deal. So, yeah, we've caught glimpses of what could potentially be the most talented player in the game. I just want to see if he's, like you said, stay healthy. How how does Joe Madden use him? I think offensively he's been such a force in uh, in spring training this year. You just hope he can be in the lineup every day, and then you know when it gets down to the bitter end that he could turn into their one. But it's it's crazy. You look at a team like Anaheim, you don't realize you're going through their lineup, and you're like, oh my god, Anthony Rendon is there. <laughs> it's like you forgot during a pandemic that he signed over there. He's one of the best hitters in the game. So is it Albert's last hurrah? I think a lot of things push me to want to want to see Anaheim make a nice run. Mark DeRosa with us on 101 ESPN, and you'll be able to see Mark on Thursday morning, MLB Central on MLB Network, starting at 9 o'clock. Dero, you mentioned the White Sox. You played for Tony La Russa. Yeah. What do you think, how do you think that'll play out? You know his personality, and I guess it'll come down to the physical grind that a manager has to deal with. But how do you think he'll do in 2021? I think he'll do great. 
I really do. Did I think it was a, a kind of a curious hire? No doubt. I mean, it's a risky hire for me. You have a young team, a team that's not only young, but guys like Tim Anderson, they're, they're live on social media. They're, they're the newer generation of, of kind of brand of ball player. So I thought it was an interesting hire not to want to go with a younger guy. That being said, once you're around Tony, and I think once you're around any manager, he puts you in positions to be successful and he asks you to win the day. And I think if you're, if you're a competitive guy and everyone in the big leagues is competitive, when you walk in the door, that's fair. Like, I want to win the day too. And if that means that he's got to bench me because this matchup doesn't work out or he's got to make a move in a big spot that maybe ruffles some feathers, then he's going to do it knowing that everybody's on the same page for winning today. And I, I always had huge respect for that. Um, I never was a guy that had too big of an ego to come into the clubhouse. Now, again, I'm not, I was never hitting three, four in the lineup, like Albert and holiday when I was there, but I think it was, it, he got guys to realize that we are an ultimate team trying to win today and whatever gives us the best, chances to do that I'm going to deploy and I think everybody can kind of have an honest evaluation of themselves he'll get into some arguments with one or two guys probably behind closed doors that don't appreciate the way he's going about it but he ain't going to lose the other 24 to a piece too Mark, I want to ask you about the National League Central. Here in St. Louis, we feel pretty good about the Cardinals' chances, but when I look around the landscape of the division, there's so many question marks with a lot of these other teams. The Cubs are in a precarious position. When I look at the yeah. Brewers, I don't know how much weight I should put on Christian Yelich's 2020 season. It's hard for me to discern how good some of these other teams are going to be in the division, so I'm curious, who do you think is the favorite in the NL Central? Well, I did it last night kind of just – putting pen to paper and I went St. Louis, Milwaukee, Chicago. And that's tough for me. And I know I'm on St. Louis radio, but like my first multi-year deal, like I lean towards the teams that I played for. I want to see them all do well. So I want the Cubs to do well, but a lot of things have to go right for them to be relevant and not have Jed want to make moves at the deadline. In my opinion, a lot of contact pitch to contact guys in that rotation I know they upgraded their defense, but they leave a a, a lot to be desired if they're not swinging the bats. Milwaukee's very intriguing for me because Woodruff and Burns at the front of the rotation with a nasty bullpen. I think Craig Council is one of the smartest managers in the game, another guy who gets so much out of his team. Um, Like getting Keston here out of the middle of the diamond and bringing in Colton Wong. I like that. I don't think it's – I popping, but I like it. Christian Yelich gets back to who he was in, you know, the 18-19. They can win that division. But like you said, how much weight do you put on 2020? I I don't know. I I never thought he was going to be the 50-homer guy. So maybe somewhere in the middle. And I think the safe play when you look at it on paper is is the fact that St. Louis is just so strong. I mean, they have superstar talent. They have a have a horse, couple horses. Alex Reyes, we know he's kind of a gun for hire. I just think they're the safer play to kind of grind out the one sixty two. 
couple more things for Mark DeRosa. You talked about the athleticism in the sport. I, I like the idea, Mark, of having a de-juiced baseball and taking some of the, the three true results out of it and having people hit a ground ball and being able to beat it out or uh, having people hit a ball into the gap and get a triple. I, I like, well, well, I grew up, didn't grow up, but I, my introduction to good baseball was whitey ball. So that's, that's what I like. And I would like to see more of that. Yeah. I think for me, I mean, you could do it a myriad of ways. I'm open to, to honest conversation. I, I just feel we're in a situation where there's, like I said, there's too many great players on the field, and we and we have a chance to kind of accentuate that talent. And I think that roles are getting lost. When I came up with the Atlanta Braves, I knew what my role was, and it it, it was ever evolving throughout the year. But it was kind of like, hey, you're the utility guy at first, then you're going to start at second. You're gonna you're going to be a table setter. You're not a table clearer yet. Oh, okay. You've kind of started to pop 20 homers. Now we're going to put you in positions where you can drive in more. I just feel the lines have blurred. Everybody's hitting homers because there's no knocks out there anymore. The, the defenses are positioned in places where a guy like myself, there's just no, there's just no way to get a base hit, right? A left-handed pull hitter. I watched my best friend, Brian McCann, go from a 280 lifetime hitter on Hall of Fame potential highway to 230. He didn't get worse as a hitter. There's no more knocks through the 4-3 hole, so it's you have one or two things. Either you bunt down the third baseline, and I don't want to pay Brian McCann to bunt down the third baseline, or you hit a ball over the fence. So I just think a lot of roles – have been blurred because everybody's trying to pop the ball over the fence, not because they're sitting there at home going, this is what I was, this is what I want to do. This is my skill set. I think they're kind of forced, forced into it. If you're not a guy that comes up and everyone says, Oh, you can learn how to hit the ball the other way. I didn't learn how to hit. I didn't learn how to pull a baseball. I, all I did as a kid was go up the middle the other way. So that, that was, my sinus rhythm swing for a guy like, I don't know, Yadier Molina, his might be to pull the baseball and that might be his sinus rhythm swing as a kid. So to ask these guys to consistently manipulate 98 exploding all over the place, I think is, is a little ridiculous. Dero to your point, And you mentioned McCann, Maybe Matt Carpenter is the biggest victim of the shift at 186 oh, last year, man. 226 a year before that. He was two for 37 in spring training, and they shifted in it. spring training every time. I saw it. it There's certain things that, that make you really go, wow. I, I can't imagine what he's going through mentally. Um, that's one of them. I thought Matt was one of the better hitters in the National League, and it just seems like he's been mired in, like, Two, it seems like two years, two, three years of just not being able to find it. Two for 37. That's a tough spring to roll out of bed every day, but he's a professional. He is. Hey, one last thing, and I didn't realize this until mid-show, but we had Doug Glanville on earlier, 1991, drafted out of Penn, and Mark DeRosa, 1996, drafted out of Penn. Were you aware of Glanville when you went to Penn or during your career there? I was. I was. He was from Teaneck, New Jersey. I'm from Carlstadt, New Jersey. It's not too far away. So I had heard of Doug, and 
he was kind of that one to make it out of the Ivy League first round pick, Cape Cod, everything. So I was like, those are opportunities if you if you go there. You still can get drafted. You still can play summer ball on the Cape. So he was kind of that trailblazer. Awesome. Hey, it's great to hear your voice. We're looking forward to the show on Thursday. We'll be watching you here in studio every morning, and hopefully during the season we'll be able to catch up again. All right. Look forward to it. See you. Thanks, Dero. Take care. Uh, Mark DeRosa, MLB Network, MLB Central, starts at 9 o'clock Thursday with Lauren Shahadi and Robert Flores. It's a great show and one of the most thoughtful baseball people that you'll ever run across. He's great. Absolutely great information. And I loved what he shared with us that Tony LaRusti used to preach to them, win the day. Win, just win the day. I wrote that down because that's something that we need to apply. <laughs> because yep. a lot of times you can get caught in the big picture of things, but if you just focus on things one day at a time and you're able to turn the page, especially in sports, you're going to okay. find some success. One of the most fun things in sports, and I heard him talking about it yesterday on MLB Network Radio. How you doing, Tony? As we at 1030. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you so glad to have that back? It, I am. He, because... I don't think I've ever met anybody as consumed by winning as Tony. Reading Three Nights in August gave us such a glimpse into the mind of Tony La Russa. And obviously watching him manage for all those years and being an observer of Tony La Russa, you know the intensity with which he operates every single day and how much it does consume him. But reading that book and really peeking into the moments that we don't get to see, where he's walking the streets at night Mm -hmm. on a road trip because he's agonizing over a decision or how he's going out to dinner and making notes on things because it just seems like every waking and probably dreaming second of his life he's thinking about baseball i would think that there was no choice for him once the possibility of managing again came up there was probably no choice for him but to come back because he needs to be attached to a win or a loss every day and uh, an exciting young team like that Mm -hmm. filled with possibilities that he could mold obviously he took the job but i i can't imagine that he would even question taking that job we, we, from an outside perspective, think, well, he's been out of the game for a while at this stage in his life. Is that something he really wants to throw himself back into? I bet he didn't have to think about it no, at all. No. <laughs> he's great, and it'll be fun to watch them during the season. Coming up, today's big thing. Scoring and home runs were down in spring training. Why? And is it a good thing? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Well, Michelle, spring training has concluded, and through Sunday, spring training games averaged 9.4 runs. That's the lowest scoring output in the preseason since at least 2015, and down more than one run from last year's spring training, which was at 10.5 runs per game. Home runs have declined in spring training as well to 1.11 per game. That's the lowest in spring training since 2017, and Much of the reason for this is attributed to the de-juiced baseball. And we've been asking people this morning whether or not that's a good thing. And I think for teams that have latched onto the three three true outcomes, homer, strikeout, or uh, I'm leaving one of the outcomes, uh, walk, three true, true outcomes. I think for those that live on home runs and strikeouts, it's going to be a bad thing. But if you're a team that gets your bat on the ball and has people that can run a little bit, I think this is going to be a great thing. 
I think that this is such an interesting wrinkle thrown into this season because clearly the alterations made to the baseball are af- affecting the game. They are affecting the, the game in the way Major League Baseball was hoping that it would. And in reading the article that you had sent us about it at ESPN.com that really outlines all of this, one of the things that I think is really interesting about this is not only how it's going to impact the offensive production in the game this year, but how it's going to impact odds makers. Because with this new baseball people that are setting the lines and knowing what to you know project out of games don't know how to gauge this and so that's going to be really interesting they said that they're taking a wait and see approach for before making significant changes to different sports books but i wonder which players this is going to impact and how that might impact odds makers it'll help a guy like mookie betts who hits a, a lot of home runs but can run it will hurt people who all they do is strike out and hit a home run. Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, yeah. And he might be powerful enough to overcome that. But let's see if we can think of somebody. You know, Ryan Braun at the end of his career was one of those guys. You aren't going to be able to have the three true outcome hitter anymore. And I think that's great for baseball. I don't want to see people strike out. I don't want to see people walk. And... If I'm down to 1.11 home runs per game, I'm fine. I think, especially for TV, one of the worst things is to have your biggest play be a little tiny ball flying over a fence, and a lot of times the camera can't even follow it. Yeah. Strikeout's boring. Put the ball into play. Yeah. And hopefully that's one of the things the Cardinals will do. They talk about their walk rate being up. And one of the things that will have to happen is teams will have to teach their hitters to actually hit now. Yeah. And to make contact and not strike out. And I think that's the best thing. And I think the other great thing about it is players like Tommy Edmond that aren't very big, but can run, they'll be back in the game. Those kind of the, and the, one of the problems is people like Billy Hamilton, uh, John, uh, Gene, Gene Segura, they wanted those guys to hit home runs and they can't they're they're runners and i think the fundamentals of the game will come back with what baseball is doing now people might be wondering what these tweaks are that have been made to the baseball. So Rawlings loosened the tension of the first three wool windings within the baseball. And this change lessened the ball's weight by less than 0.1 of an ounce. It didn't alter the size at all, but it decreased its coefficient of restitution, which is essentially the bouncingness of the ball. The coefficient of restitution. That's always been a big deal. Exactly. I know, Randy, you've been harping on this for a while. And in recent seasons, that is what caused the trend to the high end of the range of baseball that they're trying to maintain. So, they found a way, and hopefully it's a way that'll work. Here's another guy. Ronald Acuna is going to have to learn how to hit the ball more consistently. In the last full season, two years ago, he was second in the league in strikeouts at 188. The ball is going to f- fly, on average, about two feet shorter than it did before. A one to two feet shorter on hits that travel more than 375 feet. Acuna is not... I guess he's a guy. He hit the longest home run of baseball last year at 495, but not a guy that consistently is going to hit those McGuire-esque type home runs. And those are the people that will be affected. And you can make it a positive effect for you if you just start to hit. Let's bring it on home, Randy, to the Cardinals. 
We have some concerns and some questions about the Cardinals offense heading into this season. How, if any ways, do you think that this these changes to the baseball may impact the Cardinals? I think the guy that might be affected the most is Paul DeYoung, who hit 30 home runs a couple of years ago. I don't see him as being a 30 home run guy now with this baseball in place. He's going to have to cut down on the strikeouts. I think this can really benefit a guy like Tommy Edmond who's going to have to do a better job of making contact, but this spring did. I think Arenado and Goldie are such good hitters that they'll be unaffected. They have power and they get their bat on the ball. And in the outfield, we don't know about Carlson. Obviously, a guy like O'Neill we mentioned has the massive power. And the one guy that can benefit the most if he can change his game is Harrison Bader. With his speed, if he can start getting the bat on the ball and start hitting ground balls and line drives rather than trying to hit home runs all the time he can wind up being a guy that gets on base a lot uses his legs to really help this offense that would be interesting and i I always go back and i've mentioned this before so if you've heard it and you're tired of it i apologize but when ozzy smith came to the cardinals whitey had a bet with him every time you hit a ground ball or a line drive I give you a dollar. Every time you hit a fly ball or strike out, you give me a dollar. And Ozzy quickly, because like Mark DeRosa said, every player's really competitive. Yeah. And Ozzy hit so many ground balls and line drives and got on base so much that they had to end the bet before midseason because Ozzy was cleaning up. What a brilliant play by Whitey, though. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. To push the right button of competitiveness to get what he wanted. Right. And that's the play for Mike Schilt to play with Harrison Bader, too. Because that's what he... Not that he's going to become Ozzy and get 2,500 hits, but he could be so much better as a hitter if he would take the approach of not the three true outcomes of striking, hitting a home run, or walking. If he would use his athleticism, he could be so much better. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and this is Character and Smallman. Next up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by BMW of West St. Louis, where you'll find incredible value on the ultimate driving machine. All right, Kyle checked in and made it a point <laughs> to say that you deserve kudos. And by the way, this Tuesday, dedicated to Michelle for not talking over this anymore. You're killing me, Smalls. And you know what? We've come a long way. We, we have. have come a long way because that used to be an issue. So shout out to Kyle for remembering the tough times. <laughs> and you've overcome them. They aren't that tough anymore. I wish I could hit the button. <laughs> you know, timing is everything, but Emily does a great job of it. But that was a problem in the beginning. <laughs> the, the the button would be hit late and then I would be talking. It was just it was a constant thing. But we've come over it. Uh, overcome it, I should say. Okay, Randy. So this Deshaun Watson story is not only not going away, but it's continuing to worsen. Three new lawsuits have emerged accusing Deshaun Watson of sexual assault and inappropriate conduct. They were filed on Sunday night, including one claim that Deshaun Watson is deleting Instagram messages and contacting the women who are accusing him of of this behavior, who formerly provided him a 
massages in an attempt to settle those cases. Now, that certainly doesn't help his cause if he's actually going through and deleting Instagram messages and trying to settle these things. And just in case you were wondering, the total number of lawsuits filed against Deshaun Watson as of right now is 19. That's going to be, if he loses, a lot of money. And he does have a good attorney in Rusty Harden that is defending him. To this point, there have been no criminal charges filed. And these lawsuits are all of the civil variety. And these women, they say they don't want money. They just want him outed for his behavior. That's what the the attorney is saying. But you and I both agree that... Ultimately, unless there are criminal charges filed, he's playing in the NFL. Absolutely. And we have to see how this process plays out, not to steal a line from Kroenke, but you absolutely do. But we've seen far too many situations in the NFL where bad behavior is swept under the rug in favor of talent. So I I would be shocked if the outcome is any different. And we say video. Well, video on Kareem Hunt. And now he's a star for the Cleveland Browns. Talent, unfortunately, in the NFL, always wins out. Doesn't matter what you do, how how vile of a human being you might be. And we don't know about Deshaun Watson at this point. We saw Kareem Hunt kicking a woman. But the fact of the matter is, at, at the end of the day, talent always wins out in major uh, in the NFL. You're killing me, Smalls. Which leads me to my next note here, Nick Casario, which is the new Houston Texans GM, which caused a, a lot of the initial storylines with Deshaun Watson this offseason about how he was unhappy that he was not a part of the process of hiring the new head coach and, and GM. He's finally weighed in on this situation because I think a lot of people are wondering not only if Deshaun's going to play, but how the Texans feel about this. There's rumors and speculation that maybe they were behind this because of Deshaun's Mm -hmm. desire to leave the organization. Well, Casario spoke to the team's Texans All Access podcast, and he was very careful about what he was going to say about this, obviously, because it's a, a delicate situation. He says, quote, organizationally, that's not something that we can condone those types of actions. He says it's a legal process, so we're certainly respectful of that and says that the team is going to let the case play out in the courts before making any decision on Deshaun Watson's future. Do you really think that they're going to Again, going back to what we just talked about, do you think that they're going to let things play out in a civil, how things play out in a civil court, determine how they feel about or whether or not they're going to have a future with Deshaun Watson? I I just don't see that. I, I think if he settles and ultimately in a civil case, he might say, yeah, I made a mistake. I apologize. And he might have to pay several million dollars. He's got $180 million. Don't you think that the Texans, unless there are criminal charges and convictions, they want him to be their quarterback? Yes. I think that if he's already allegedly reaching out to some of these women who are accusing them of this behavior on Instagram, trying to delete messages and or trying to settle this, that they're trying to get ahead of this before it even gets to the the criminal route. And I would think... Because he doesn't want to admit anything here because that could lead to criminal charges. He probably just wants to go, wants it to go away with money and no admission. 
But he's going to have to speak on it at some point. Yeah. This is not going away. If he does, in fact, play football, there's going to be members of the press that are going. He's the, the franchise quarterback. He's going to have to face the media after every game. And until he effectively answers the questions as to why unprompted, he would follow up with these massage therapists and say, I'm sorry if I made you feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. That wasn't my intent. Or he gives a concise and effective answer as to why he was deleting messages and things like that. It's something that's going to be brought up. He's yeah. going to have to talk about it. And it's not way, going away. Ultimately, doing it is stupid. But then going on social media to apologize, that's pretty stupid, too. Yeah, I don't know how you that's explain that. Kind of proof. <laughs> I don't know how you explain that one. You're killing me, Smalls. All right, Randy, let's talk some baseball. So we have talked a lot today with both both Doug Glanville and Mark DeRosa about the National League Central. And the Cubs are such an interesting story this year. I'm so fascinated to see how things are going to play out with what was supposed to be the core of the of the dynasty and Bryant and Rizzo and Javi Baez. Well, Ken Rosenthal and Patrick Mooney of The Athletic revealed that the Cubs' first offer to Anthony Rizzo for the contract extension was five years, $70 million. The contract was front-loaded. It includes escalators that would have allowed Rizzo to earn more near the tail end of the deal. That tells me that they aren't really overly interested in keeping him around. Right. Because when you have a guy like Eric Hosmer, who got 147 over 7 or something like that from the Padres, when you have Goldie getting 130 over 5 from the Cardinals, virtually the same age, that's telling me that they want Anthony Rizzo to reject that offer and leave them. Jesse Rogers, by the way, says Rizzo's looking for a multi-year contract uh, worth about $100 million. That'd be a good deal for them. Because not only is he still a productive player, but he's the guy. In Chicago and in that clubhouse, he's the guy. And he's adored by Cub fans. If I were, and I know that uh, Doug Glanville said that Javi Baez will be the one around. And uh, from a baseball standpoint, yes, Javi Baez is the guy that you want to keep. But... Can you imagine the Cubs without Anthony Rizzo right now? Mm. Or in the next two years? It would be so weird. Yeah. But I kind of can see it. As as weird as it would be, if they're really committed to tearing this thing down and rebuilding it, I can see it. Yeah. He would be my centerpiece of the one guy that p- people come to buy tickets to see. He would be that guy for me because he's just so well-liked in Chicago. But to your initial point, if they're $30 million away from making a deal, clearly if they know what his number is and then they lowball him to that extent, doesn't seem like their interest is as prominent. And for a guy like that, that is, and I know that there is no such thing as being insulted when somebody offers you $70 million. (laughs) But if there is such thing as an insulting offer, in baseball, relative to what other guys have done and what other guys are making, that's a pretty insulting offer to Anthony Rizzo. I can't imagine that he wouldn't take offense to that. No, I would if I were him. Yes, and obviously this is all relative, but yeah. if you are the face of the franchise, you've you've brought the unthinkable in a World Series championship back to Chicago. You've done everything that's asked, and I know that I say it's $100 million and you come in $30 million under what I yeah. want. Yeah, I would be a little bit offended too. Do you think he's face of the franchise? I do. I do, too. That's why I think that they should take care of him. Yeah, that's... But if they don't, I'm fine with that. Because well, yeah, I'm a Cardinal too. fan. I was going to say, me, too. They can blow <laughs> it all up and serve from yeah. scratch. That's fine with me. Let Jed Hoyer roll the dice 
on, yeah. on the rebuild. I'm good exactly. with it. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. You got it. Coming up next, we're going to cross things over with Danny Mac. Scoops with Danny Mac and the Dan McLaughlin Show with BK coming up on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Dan McLaughlin show with BK coming up and Dan, I think you'll probably be on the same page with me here. We had Mark DeRosa on the show this morning and when the Cardinals acquired DeRosa and Smoltz during that 2009 season. And Holiday. Yeah, but those two specifically, I I said when I, within a minute, oh, this guy's going to be a broadcaster. Both of them. Oh, yeah. Because you just knew when you spoke to them, well-spoken, sharp guys, baseball fans, there was just no doubt. And here you got D-Rose starting again another year on MLB Central on MLB Network. Smoltz, the lead analyst for Fox and MLB Network as well. Uh, those two Cardinals from 2009, man, they've done well in the media. And DeRosa, well-educated too. Yeah. Very well-educated. And, and I'm not saying that you have to be well-educated to be a broadcaster. Look at us. But um, <laughs> you got to be able to talk. Right. You right. got to be yeah, able to yeah. talk. And so you got to, I think you got to love the game too, or at least love what you do if you're going to be in broadcasting. So um, what I find interesting is for some of these guys is maybe how frustrated they are with where the game is going. Like the game is always going to change, but the game right now is really slow and it needs to pick up. I think we all would be in agreement with that for the entertainment value of not just the younger fan, but for, for, I think if we're being honest, even the older fan that still loves the game, it'd be nice to have more action in the game. I don't mind the long games. It's fine. That's that's the way the game is played. I just want to see action in it. And you do wonder if those guys are like, man, you know, can somebody get in the box? Can you throw a strike? Can we do this? Do we need to have X amount of pitching changes? Why aren't guys going longer? I mean, and some people say, well, you're just being old school and the game has changed. Yeah, but I also like entertainment. Mm-hmm. And that's the bottom line. We're supposed to be entertaining people. I would love to have guys give their unfiltered opinions oh. on stuff like that. If, if guys were mic'd <laughs> They'd up... They'd all be it, fired. I know, but if you knew <laughs> that you could really find out what they were thinking in moments and about the game in general, that would be awesome for baseball. <laughs> yeah, I, I think certain guys are frustrated with the way the game's played. I mean, we we talk to players. We Well, we used to. We tried to uh, <laughs> talk to management and uh, managers and coaches and... You know, they give you insight in the game, and there's frustration in in how the game is played. There's no doubt. But I think we have to evolve with the times, too. It's not just saying, hey, this this time period was better than this. I I think you can take a piece of all the time periods and Mm -hmm. try to put them together and evolve. And and to me, that's where the game is going. And I know there are listeners, because they've texted in, who don't think that de-juicing the ball is going to have an effect. 1.1 home runs per game during spring training. I kind of think it is going to have an effect. I just think we need to put the ball in play. Agreed. So if it's dejuicing and it's a lack of home runs, so maybe some those potential home runs turn into balls off the wall or in the gap, and you get to see the speed of some of the players and relays and things of that nature, so we see how athletic these guys are, I think that's great. I, the biggest problem I have is that we are just seeing strikeouts at, at an alarming rate. Yeah, I did a spring training game this year, now, some of those guys were minor league players facing really good major league pitching, but it was something like 22 strikeouts in the game. So you can de-juice the ball all you want. If they can't hit it, it doesn't matter. Cardinals are going against Luis Castillo on 
Thursday. He's really good. He is. But if you, especially the right-handed hitters, pull the ball on the ground with Eugenio Suarez at short <laughs> and Moustakis at third, and just take your chances. <laughs> I, you know, the thing about the, yeah, no doubt. The thing about the, and flip side is if you're the Cardinals, throw strikes. Yeah. You've yep. got one of the Let best the defenses. Play. Yeah. In, uh, in, in baseball. I can't figure out why the Reds have not hit. It's weird, isn't it? it? It's, I think they hit last year as a team like 216 or something like that with Mike Moustakis, Suarez, Vado, Castellanos. Uh, Castellanos. I'm like, how are you not hitting in that ballpark? It's, it's like a mystery to me. And I, I actually talked to some of the Reds people um, that follow their team last week off the air. And I said, what do you guys think about this? And they're like, we can't figure it out either. Like, we, we should have a team that's generating a lot of runs. And the, the Reds are kind of in a weird situation, too. They did not have a good spring. Um, they're, they're First of all, Sonny Gray, we're not going to see him, it looks mm-hmm. like, this weekend. Um, also, they're, they're still trying to figure out the back end of their bullpen with Iglesias gone. And the the Reds did not win a lot of games, and they're kind of in a transition somewhat because last year they put a lot of eggs in that basket to win with Trevor Bauer in his final year and said, hey, we'll go for it by getting those big bats, and they didn't hit. So uh, we'll see what, what they do this year. By the way, did you see the pitcher that they got for Iglesias? They waved, and the Angels picked him back Angels up. Angels got him back. So the Angels got one of the best closers in baseball for nothing, just paying him. Yeah, and he was a guy that had to make their team. Mm-hmm. And didn't make the team for the Reds, and Angels said, "Okay, we'll we'll give you a shot because they need arms." Mm-hmm. Did you see what they did in the last forty-eight hours? They picked up like four arms. Yeah, they got one from the Marlins. Yep. Yeah, and I don't think there's anybody in baseball right now that does a better job of putting together a unit in a bullpen than Joe Madden. It's pretty he, good. He can. He's got first of all a great eye for a guy that'll pitch well out of the bullpen. That 2015 bullpen that they had when they got a bunch of former starters at midseason, just threw them in the bullpen, and they wound up being great. That's what he does. Chapman helped too. Oh, well, yeah. yeah, that was 16 though, but 15. Oh, that you team say, that beat okay, the yeah. Um, yeah, that's how he did it. You know, but, the Trevor Cahill's of the world, and, but then you thought about their lineup. That was pretty good. Pretty good. How about what they're going to do this year? That they, um, I was listening to you guys on the crossover, and they haven't figured out. A deal with Rizzo. Yeah. That's really interesting. 70 to me. over five for my Anthony Rizzo. How about the fact if I went to dinner with Steve Cohen and by all accounts the reports are ten year deal for three twenty five mm-hmm. or whatever it is for Lindor. That's it. Uh where do I sign? Yeah. Like, why why am I hesitating on this? I mean you, you I mean if you want to bet on yourself, I mean, God bless you, but somebody's giving you over three hundred million dollars to go play baseball he, in New York. He wants more than bets. Is that what he said? Yeah. No, well, that's what the report is that he wants a, a bigger total payout than Mookie got. And if you're the Mets, they have like four or five different young prospects that are shortstops that are really good. And then if I'm Trevor Story, I'm saying, wait a minute, you're going to offer that guy that? <laughs> um, if you want to trade for me or wait till I'm done this season, I'd be happy to talk to you about what you want to do. But if, yeah. you're a Lindor, if you're a Lindor's agent... You're telling your client, well, this is a new owner who promised to make a big splash and he's got the money to do it. So if I was in his camp, even though it sounds like a great offer, I would certainly want to push back a little bit, too. Well, I don't know. I think, though, three hundred twenty five million dollars. And you know he's going to spend money like they they should be competitive. And if you're Lindor and by the way, he wants three eighty five over twelve reportedly. But if you're. (laughs) 
the Mets. <sighs> and it's not only Lindor, but it's Story, Seager, Correa, Baez that are all free agent shortstops. It's going to be a buyer's market, especially yeah. for a team that's willing to spend. So if the Mets lose him, they go, okay, we'll just go get the next guy, and I'm sure he'd be yeah. happy to sign here. Right. And then I, I sign the next guy for six years, seven years, and I've got prospects just in case. Yeah. I'm in pretty good shape. I just, I don't understand it. I, I really don't. I mean, if I'm offered $300 plus million to play baseball uh, and I could go out tomorrow and get hit in the face with a fastball at 98, uh, sign me up, man. I mean, not for the fastball, but for the money. <laughs> you, you know yeah. what I mean? You're, you're, you're always, and again, I get betting on yourself. I, I mean, it's a fine line. I get all that stuff. But $325 million. Wow. And in the number. And then in the number one market where you're likely yeah, a star and, and going to make a lot of endorsement yeah. money. Yes. 350, 355 over 11. That's what it'll get. Does they'll he not? I mean, maybe he doesn't want to play in New York. I mean, there's certain guys that say, I don't want to play in New York. Maybe he's one he, of those he guys. He did say that if he doesn't have a deal by the time they start their season, that he's not going to negotiate during the season. Right. So he's going to become a free agent. So maybe that is part of it. I guess he's trying to, he's thinking that he can apply pressure. If I'm the Mets, I don't feel pressure. Mm-mm. And... If you're Cohen, you you pretty much get what you want all the time, right? right. You got deep pockets, so if that's who you want, you'll make it work. Yeah. Um, man, three hundred twenty-five million dollars. What would you do with that? Heck, that's I, higher than the Powerball right now. I guess the question is, how much is enough? It always and it's yeah. to the eye of the beholder, you know. Sounds pretty good to me. I, I, I could not. I, and he's you know. twenty-eight. Could he spend? And by the way, he wasn't great last year. No. He was good, but wasn't great. Yeah. So what's, let's just say you bet on yourself and you have a, a decent year, but not a great year. You think there's other teams out there willing to give you that kind of money with the shortstop markets that, that is there with potentially other guys having great years? The only team that would do it are the Dodgers, right? I, yeah. I mean, that's... And maybe the, they decide that Torres isn't the answer, but no. Because, and a pending CBA. Right. And where are we going with this? And the fact of the matter is somebody's going to be left out there because the Rockies aren't paying that money and the Cubs aren't paying that money. So there's going to be somebody that expects a big contract that's not going to get it. And by the way, Correa turned out a big offer, too. It was like 125, 150, I you know, think, maybe yeah. six for 150, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So it's going to be an interesting season and offseason. Who do we got coming up on the uh, Danny Mac show? Well, speaking of shortstops, he signed a three-year, $9 million deal with the Cardinals, and that was David Eckstein. And that turned out pretty pretty good. So we're going to visit with David Eckstein. Beautiful. Yeah, he's coming up. And by the way, we were talking about Thursday. We're going to talk to Joe Buck. We're going to talk to Bob Costas. Uh, who else do we Greg have? Amsinger. Greg Amsinger. And then on opening day, Ozzy will be with us, the great. Hall of Famer and the greatest shortstop of all time. And uh, we're also going to talk to Mo that day, plus more special guests on opening day at Ballpark Village. Looking forward to it. Love baseball. Here we are. Here we are. What are we, uh, today's Tuesday, right? Yep. yep. Two okay. days away. Two days away. Yep. I'm on it. We're Red Shane Dean away. Have a great day. Okay, guys. Thanks. You too. Thanks to Danny Mac. Thanks to our producer engineer, the great Emily Butcher. Thank you. And Michelle, this was fun. Great Tuesday. You know what tomorrow is? Hump day. It is. <laughs> For all of us, till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Anyone else have trouble sleeping last night and the night before that? Same. And I've tried everything, but it either doesn't help me sleep, so I'm cranky and tired the next day, or I sleep and then I'm drowsy the next day. Luckily, Seize the Night and Day is here. Go to SeizeTheNightAndDay.com to learn more about insomnia and how you can seize the night. And Carpe the Diem. Make their mission your mission. 
because they will not rest until we all rest. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.